This is Jocko Podcast number 75 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. We have shared the incommunicable experience of war. We have felt, we still feel the passion of life to its top in our youth. Our hearts were touched by fire. That's a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Supreme Court judge. Lots of people know that, but they may not know. Civil War soldier served with the 20th Regiment of Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry, saw action all over the place peninsula campaign the wilderness he was wounded at the battle of balls bluff also wounded at antietam and also wounded at the battle of chancellorville so i think it's safe to say that he knew and understood war and that quote right there is from the beginning of another book about another man that knew war major dick winners now we've covered dick winners before his book on this podcast number 17 beyond band of brothers great book lots of lessons learned but there's another book which is called conversations with major dick winters life lessons from the commander of the band of brothers and it's written by a guy named Colonel Cole C. Kingseed, who was a friend of Dick Winters and who actually was the co-author behind that book, Beyond Band of Brothers. So what's cool about this book is it really parses out some lessons about leadership in a conversational manner with Dick Winters, the things that he thought and the lessons that he learned, which... I mean, when you get an opportunity to learn from someone like this, you know what I do? I just be quiet, I listen, and I learn, or in this case, I read and I learn. Mm. So this is also the guy, if you haven't seen this series on HBO, Band of Brothers, just go stop and just go watch it. It's, I don't know what it is, like 12, 12 episodes. They're all awesome. Everybody asks me all the time, what's realistic war movies? That one, Band of Brothers, and then The Pacific, all, both HBO series, they're both phenomenal, and I recommend you watch it. You'll learn a lot about Dick Winters on that, and the and the guy that plays Dick Winters does a great job. And the way they tell the story and the realism and all that, it's just an awesome series. But here we can learn, not interpreted through a movie, but actually from the man as he spoke it. So here we go, taking it back to the book right now. From Dick Winters. D-Day was my first time in combat. So right there, let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. Your first time in combat, what's your mission? D-Day. One of the largest military operations of all time. That's your first day in combat. Get some. Back to the book. I was mentally prepared and felt that I had done everything necessary to prepare myself for this precise moment. And you never know if you will measure up as a leader until the minute arrives when you face the enemy for the first time. 
Baptism by fire is a soldier's sacrament. There is always doubt. Hopefully, in combat, you perform as you train. So, I can't imagine that baptism by fire. D-Day. Again, get get some sense of another good movie, Saving Private Ryan. The opening scene of that is the same thing. And that's, that's one of the most intense parts of a movie ever is the D-Day when they're hitting the beaches. It's crazy to watch. Mm. But watch it because it'll give you a feeling for what Dick Winters is talking about. And just imagine all these preparation that you do. You're getting ready. And guess what? Here it comes. Little mission called D-Day. Now, they all, they all uh, that was their initial operation was during D-Day, but then they fought all over the place. And again, we cover this in, in Beyond Band of Brothers. But one of the most intense parts of their campaign was at Bastogne. So even though D-Day was hard, things didn't get easier once D-Day was complete. As much as I'm saying, oh yeah, D-Day was crazy, guess what? It wasn't even the hardest part for them. Mm. Things got worse. Back to the book. Most of the soldiers in Easy Company also felt that Bastogne was the most challenging month of the war. Staff Sergeant Bill Guarnier later claimed that he had been scared before, but he was absolutely petrified at Bastogne. From my perspective, Bastogne was the most miserable place I've been in my life. I was wet through and through. And naturally, being a paratrooper, I didn't have a change of clothes, no blanket, nothing. And it was a cold son of a gun. Things were all snafu'd, walking around in the black of night, not knowing where we were exactly, where everybody else was, houses burning, civilians crying, wringing your hands, and behind every bush a, pers- per- a prospective enemy. We took our greatest number of casualties during that campaign. Easy Company was never the same after Bastogne. We lost so many because we lost so many veterans who had fought in Normandy and Holland. Joe Toy, Bill Guarner, Buck Compton, Don Hubler, and many others. So this is, this is where I, I, I started thinking, okay, leadership lesson learned right here. I operated the battalion command post that was situated approximately 75 yards from the main line of resistance. You might not think 75 yards is consequential, but it gave me the opportunity to think things through and divorce myself from the chaos surrounding the front line and to make calm, rational decisions under pressure. That is the toughest challenge for any leader. So obviously, we're talking about detachment here. And I've talked about the fact that in order to detach, you can move off the line like six inches. I'm not kidding. In a smaller group, you know, in a SEAL platoon, he's talking about a battalion, so they got hundreds of guys. So 75 yards is more appropriate. Mm-hmm. But if you're running a smaller unit, like one company or maybe a platoon, you got 30, 40 guys. If you move back off that firing line six inches, a, a foot, maybe, you know, maybe three feet or six feet, you just step back and you get yourself out of that firefight where you can look around. That's what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to detach yourself from the chaos and the mayhem and make calm, rational decisions under pressure. Yeah, and that's such a big deal. Like where when you do that, when you detach, and then you can, you know, you have a clearer vision. And a lot of times, the answer or solution to some big problem is just so simple. Remember that story you were telling at the muster where 
you know, your yep. one of your guys had an injured neck, yeah. so he couldn't participate, but right. he wanted to come along, so he's watching from the outside, and he's like, why don't they just what do you step back and peel left? Yeah, or why don't they? Why don't they get online and peel, peel left? left? Yeah, whatever the call was. So the story is, there was a guy that actually he was the Delta Platoon commander in TU Bruiser. He yeah. took over my position. He took over as the TU Bruiser commander. Yeah. And then I was running the training. So once I was running the training, you know, now I was overall making things happen. And he was going through the training, a different block of training, and he broke his neck. Yeah. Broke his neck. And thank God he didn't hurt his spinal cord, but he broke a vertebrae in his neck. So he had to wear one of those big, crazy neck braces. And he couldn't actually do the physical training. He wasn't allowed to bear any weight for a certain amount of time. But, you know, luckily he was able to keep his his job because he was very experienced. And so we were going through the land warfare portion of training. Mm. And I said, hey, man, you know, I know you can't participate, but come out with me. You know, come out and check it out. And, you know, you can see your guys and you can watch how they perform and you can, you know, teach them some stuff and learn from from what happens. So cool. He comes out and he's actually one of my, you know, one of my best friends. So, of course, we just want to hang out anyways, right, which right. is what the teams is all about. <laughs> so, you know, of course, we he has a chance to come out and hang out with me in the desert for a few weeks. He's going to do it. Yeah. So we... We get out there and, and you know, you've heard the stories about the training that I ran. It was really hard and evil and crazy <laughs> and psychotic. Evil, yeah. And we're doing that. You know, we got, we in that case, we had these really high-speed laser laser tag system. And you got guys pinned down. You got explosions going off. You got just total mayhem going on. And his guys kind of froze up. Mm. And they're all pinned down in this little sort of ravine valley type thing. And I got guys, I got my guys, my opposing force. So the seals that are pretending to be bad guys, pretending to be mooge, they're all up in the mountains shooting down on them and killing everyone. And his guys, his leadership is just kind of frozen. Mm. And they're sitting there and not doing anything. And, you know, he says to me, hey, can I help them? <laughs> and I, I kind of thought about it for a minute. I go, yeah, go ahead. I go, give them, you know, tell them what to do. Give them a prompt. And he and he just you know goes down to the leader, one of the leaders, and says, "Hey, get online and peel left." And so the guy looks at him and what he, does "get online" mean? Just it's an organizational movement where all your troops are pointed in all different directions. Gotcha. Yeah. Boom. You'd say contact right online, and that means everyone's going to basically face in that direction. Gotcha. You'll get a couple guys that are doing rear security, a couple guys that are doing flank security, but everyone is now oriented in the same direction. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the next call that comes is peel left, boom, and they're all going to start moving, you know, in a direction that's going to get them out of this immediate threat. Mm. So he tells, he kind of says to the guy, "Hey, get online, peel left." Mm -hmm. So the guy looks at him and he just yells out, "Get online, peel left!" And then everyone repeats that command, right. and then everyone does it. And within a minute, they're they're home free. It, yeah. it literally took like one minute once they made the decision. Yeah. So and then so so they get out of there, and he looks at me, and he goes, he goes, man, it's so easy when you're way up here. Now, way up here, to put it in perspective, was four feet behind these guys. That's all it was. It wasn't like we were <laughs> yeah. up on some mountaintop with yeah. some incredible view. No, we were we were there. We were standing next to the guys mm. and we were a little bit elevated because they were laying down and we were standing up, but it's it was not inconceivable that you wouldn't have the same perspective if you just stepped back and maybe, you know, right. shuffled over a little bit. And he says, "It's so easy when when you're up here." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Bro, you remember when we went through training?" And he says, "Yeah." And I said, "It was always like this for me." 
Mm. And it was. I was. I would always just pull myself back just enough to be able to see what the solution is. Yeah. So yes, this detachment that he's talking about, and again, in a battalion situation where you're going 75 yards, and and in a business situation, you know, I actually see people do this. You're in a you're in a meeting. Yeah. And there's everyone around the around the table and there's some problem that can't be solved mm-hmm. you Literally step up and get step away from the table and just step back get away from the group mm-hmm. because they're all mobbed up in group think everyone's going down the same trail They're thinking about the same stuff and there's no new ideas because they're all right there in this vortex yeah. Step away from the table. Yeah, it's the same thing like step step away from your computer yeah. You know you get to some point where you're just you don't know where to go with some you're looking for some kind of a solution to a problem yeah. S- Step back step yeah. back see more yeah, yeah. In writing, a lot of times they'll suggest just skip to the end. Don't worry about like mm. this in the middle. Just go to the end. How do you want it to end? And then interesting, it'll kind of open your mind up. It'll it'll make you sort of forget about this problem right in front of you. You know, yeah, and give it, you kind of an overall view. Of move it. you towards the solution that you know can be found. Yeah, even in an argument with your wife or something like that. Oh yeah, well for sure, that's a big one for sure. Because when you yeah, you definitely need to do it there. You're entrenched. You don't need to get entrenched. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and this part's been covered before on multiple occasions. You know what we're going to do? Cover it again. <laughs> Little piece about discipline. I did have a routine, a routine that was instilled into me by Colonel Sink. At COA, Colonel Sink insisted that officers always shave in the morning, regardless of the situation. He would say, you shave every morning for the troops, and if you want to shave every evening for the women, that's up to you. I followed his orders because I realized that I had to set the proper example for the men. I needed to get their attention and let them all know that I intended to be around for a while and that the situation was not as bad as they might think. I remember before 2nd Battalion attacked Foy, I had awakened early and shaved before I ate breakfast. I later discovered that I had cut my face in multiple places. When Colonel Sink came up to check on the battalion's readiness before the attack commenced, he took one look at me and smiled. I realized that he was laughing at me for shaving on that bitterly cold morning. In hindsight, shaving at zero dark 30 and freezing temperatures was pretty ridiculous. I, so, you know, we talk about this all the time, gotta shave, gotta maintain unmitigated daily discipline in all things. But what's cool, that what I, the reason I wanted to go over this again is because look at what he's doing psychologically to the troops. He's saying, I know I had to set an example. I needed to get their attention and Make them realize, like, hey, we're going to be here for a while. And you know what? I'm just going to go daily. This is no big deal. Oh, you're worried about this stuff? I'm still shaving over here. Mm-hmm. I'm still waking up at 0400 shaving. And and you're worried about this stuff? Nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. We're good to go. And you need to maintain the same discipline. Mm-hmm. So that leading by example clearly is a big deal right there. And maintaining that routine, maintaining that discipline. Now, speaking of discipline, back to the book. Regardless of how disciplined an outfit is, too much time on your hands, too little activity, and too much alcohol make a volatile combination. So this book skips around a little bit, but I put this in here because this is this is actually talking about when they were done fighting, and now everyone was kind of idle. He has some idle people on their hands, but it related to discipline, so I wanted to lock it in a little bit. Back to the book. The battalion was no longer a combat unit but a garrison outfit. It was more important to keep the troops gainfully employed to prevent boredom and monotony. That would lead to a breakdown in discipline, and when that occurs, soldiers get careless. Consequently, the first thing we organized were calisthenics and athletic programs. 
you know, I always joke about, you know, when people say they have some kind of problem, and I'm like, oh, do burpees. Right. Hey, you know what a good solution to all problems are? Calisthenics. Just yeah. start doing calisthenics. I like that. I like that attitude. <laughs> I vividly recall, this is, this is another reason why I put this in. I vividly recall watching the men strip to their waist or only wearing their shorts as they played baseball. The sight of all those scars made me conscious of the fact that only a handful of men in the battalion had been lucky enough to make it through all four campaigns without at least one scar. Some men had two, three, or even four scars on their chest, back, arms, or legs. Keep in mind that this was after the war, so I was looking only at men who were not seriously wounded. Next, we set up rifle ranges and sharpened our marksmanship. Close order drill and troop reviews were once again back on the training schedule. I also established a schedule where each of our four platoons could rotate every 72 hours to a ski lodge in the Alps for rest and relaxation. The purpose of using this retreat was to let the men get away from the routine of a military schedule. So first of all, when, when I got to SEAL Team 1, and actually it, was, it wasn't when I, when I first got there, but there was a, a Master Chief at SEAL Team 1 that had showed up in 1971 or 1972 to SEAL Team 1. Mm. And SEAL Team 1, you know, you had 150 guys uh, uh, roughly on the team at that time. And they had had 34 killed in action in Vietnam at SEAL Team 1. And wounded was, I, I don't know how many wounded, but it was a lot. But this, this guy who was a Master Chief when I met him, and he was telling me that when he, you know, at the SEAL Team, you would, you know, you PT in the morning, just like a sports team, you get, you get to work and you work out. And here's the, he's a new guy, right? And he's they they PT and then they go in the shower, you know, to to, to wash off, and it's the same thing. He's like looking at every single guy's scarred up, wounded, you know, slashes on their chest, bullet holes in them, mm-hmm. and he kind of was saying to himself, "Damn, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, this has been trial by fire for these guys." But beyond that, what he's talking about here clearly is. If you and I'll tell you this, especially with you know eighteen year old, nineteen year old, twenty year old males that have joined the military, if you don't find something for them to do productive, they're going to find something yeah. to do that's not going to be productive. <laughs> It'll be fun for them. Yeah. It'll be fun for them. They're going to have a good time, but it's not. It, it, there's a chance that they could be doing something better yeah. than what you're letting them do. Now, of course, he talks about the fact that he's given them, still giving them time to go out to the ski lodge and, and break away from it a little bit, but you just gotta be careful on how you do that. You gotta be careful on how you do that. It's, it can backfire if you're not careful. And the first time I was ever kind of detached from a SEAL platoon on a, it was when I went to training, the training department at, at SEAL Team One, what we used to call training cell. <laughs> Which sounds legit, and it was yep. legit. <laughs> sure. So at training cell, the first trip I went on with a platoon, because I was always in the platoon. Mm. So the first trip I went on with the platoon, and I was outside of the platoon, and I was, you you could say I was an instructor, even though we weren't running around calling ourselves instructor, instructors. We would call ourselves actually the cadre. I don't know why. <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, cadre. Sounds dope. Yeah. It's, Again. Wait, that's an official term, though. It right? is the an official cadre? term. Yeah, cadre, the training yeah. cadre. Yeah. So when we were at training cell, because the instructors are kind of considered the buds instructors, the guys are at the basic training, and, and we didn't really want to be buds instructors. Mm. We were the cadre. 
Hell yeah. So and I never I didn't mean this is just this is just my own assessment. I didn't sure. make up cadre. I didn't call ourselves cadre. I didn't make up training cell. I wish right. I would have made up all those things, but I just flowed into them as a lucky young new guy. Or yeah, yeah. And actually at this point I wasn't a new guy anymore. Wait, but it's true though, right? It's not like you just gave yourself a title that wasn't. No, no, no. Yet. We were the cadre. Yeah, you, yeah. You, oh training cadre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. hey, I need to talk to the guys in the cadre over here. Yeah, that's what that's what we called ourselves. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's like you know, like let's say you open a jujitsu gym, and then you know you're teaching people, and then you're like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm the instructor. I'm the, and then you say, you know what? I like professor. That's better. Yeah. You know? No, it wasn't it's, that. It's not that. I didn't make that. No, no, no. They called. You know, for years, and actually, I think Roger Hayden talked about it when mm. when he was on the podcast. He was talking about when he was cadre. So right. w- it's been around forever. Right. That's why, just like professor, it's like it's true. Yeah, it's you are the thing. professor, yeah. but it's like it just sounds. It's just better. You know, it sounds better. So yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and go with that one. Just go with cadre. Okay. Yeah, I like. <laughs> I don't even know what I was talking about. Oh, so I was <laughs> I was in the cadre for the first time, mm-hmm. and we went on a trip. We went to a trip. Where they have good times to be had where we were mm-hmm. it was a, it was a place where there was some good training But there was also good times and you know, I picked this up from Harley Flanagan mm-hmm. this term which I hadn't really heard Wilding did you hear him say that <laughs> he's like oh we were just wilding yeah Which I think is a better term than the term that we discussed which was partying Right. right. Oh, there's good. Yeah, we were partying. Yeah, I like wilding better because yeah. that entails all kinds of other things. A little bit more down. wild. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more wild. Yeah, wilding out or what's they say wilding. I out. never really wilding. heard it. I never yeah. really heard it before. He's but when Harley said, I mean, clearly you know what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's in his book too. He so talks about wilding. So we went to this place with a seal platoon where there was good training and good wilding to be had. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time that these guys, you know, we get there, we work a little bit, and then they're going to go out in into the town. And I remember thinking to myself, they'd been in the field for a few days, and they were all fired up, young frogmen. And I was thinking to myself, how is this even going to work? Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no possibility of this going well. And it did, you know, everyone <laughs> fine. But you just see all these guys; they're ready to, you know, they're ready to explode. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna, they've been in the field, they've dehydrated, they've been in the field for four days or five days. They're all dehydrated, and they completed their operation. They feel good about it. Now you're gonna let them out in town, and it's. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be careful in those scenarios. <laughs> you got oh, yeah. to put something. Yeah, we we would, you know, sometimes you just say, hey, look, yeah, do whatever you want tonight, but we're PTing tomorrow at 0700. So then everyone knows they can, right, they they can wild leash. to a point, but they can't, they <laughs> yeah. got to put some kind of a governor, some kind of a governor yeah, on the scenario. Tech. Here's a cool piece where Dick Winters, you know, he talks about, and I've talked about this before, but. Just, just a piece about his view of what America was doing at the time. Back to the book. The United States went to war not to conquer territory or to subject their fellow man, but merely to liberate a conquered people from the chains of tyranny. There is a certain nobility in all that. Today we are bombarded in the news media about how everyone hates America and how this country is deployed around the world. World War II wasn't like that. And I am proud to be a part of it. So again, I've said this a bunch of times. You know, we went there and, and lost hundreds of thousands of people in Europe and in and in the Pacific Theater, mm-hmm. and we took nothing. Mm. We only gave. Some thoughts on leadership from Dick Winters. Leadership leadership's defining quality is honesty. To honesty add fairness and consistency 
I was able to develop a sixth sense during the war that allowed me to size up a situation rapidly. I could look at terrain and be able to see opportunities instead of challenges. By leading from the front, I believe I achieved a high degree of success. So I thought this was a very, very interesting combination. Honesty, fairness, and consistency. Mm. You don't hear those a lot about being a great leader. I mean, I always talk about the number one attribute of a leader is humility. Humility. And I, I definitely believe that humility is important, but honesty, that's clearly a, a thought and a concept of leadership that I think that misses a lot of people. Yeah. I think, and we've talked about plenty of cases on the podcast here where we say, oh, what if this is going on? And I say, look, you want to be honest with them. Yeah. You know? So I've definitely said that before, but I'm going to start saying it more <laughs> because yeah. I'm learning a little something from Dick Winters today. <laughs> But you know, I remember we had a case where someone was saying, hey, I'm gonna leave this job, or I'm gonna take another job, and what should I do, should I tell them, should I not? Yeah. And we kind of went around, and I was like, look, just tell them the truth. Just say, mm-hmm. look, hey, this is what's going on. I'm gonna be, I've got a better opportunity, I'm gonna take it, because, and in the long run, you're, in the long run, it's gonna be, you're gonna be better off if you're honest with people. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, to think about this quality it's something I've I've thought about, but not as clearly as this, as as Dick Winter saying that's the defining quality. That's obviously important. Something that I will talk about more now. Definitely believed it, but we'll talk about it more. Now, if you've seen the movie Band of Brothers or the series Band of Brothers, they they do a good job of showing the beginning when they form up, and there's a guy in there's a guy in leadership position called Captain Sobel. Mm-hmm. and he's not a good leader. And they do a good job of portraying why he wasn't a good leader in the series. But here's what Dick Winters had to say about it. Back to the book. Captain Sobel commanded through fear and intimidation. That is not how a leader should conduct himself. Sobel was not just unfair, he was mean-spirited. His attitude created a special bond within Easy Company that allowed the men to identify with their platoons more so than with the company, which is more normal in most military units. Second lieutenants, by their nature, are a clannish group. So you got a company commander, and then he's got three, usually three platoons underneath him, and each one of those is run by a second lieutenant. So these second lieutenants are the platoon commanders. Second lieutenants, by their nature, are a clannish group. Some are more serious than others, but for the most part, they wander around a military post, as General Heisenauer once said, in a rather aimless search for excitement. (laughs) Easy Company's platoon leaders, of which I was one, did our best to take care of our soldiers to soften Sobel's dictatorial behavior. I lost all respect for our commander the day he announced to the officers, in Easy Company, we will lead through fear, not by example. (laughs) That's just the opposite of, of any leadership principle that I could ever conceive. Is to lead through fear instead of example. Kind of like when the, when your dad. Well, I don't know about your dad, but if your dad says, or if you say to your kids, "Do what I say, not what I do," you know that. Yeah, heard that before. for sure. For sure, that's. Yeah. It, and when if you want to put the fear onto that, it's do what I say, not what I do, or or, or else, or else. Yeah, I'm gonna get out the belt. <laughs> or the kids down south, they say, "Yeah, then I'm gonna get out the switch." switch yeah. yeah, get out the switch. My dad would say that all, not all the time, but. He said that. Before. He said switch. Where was he from? Dad's from Brooklyn, New York. 
Old they ain't school. got no switches in Brooklyn, New York. I'm here to uh, tell you. On Kawhi, they do. On Kawhi, they found <laughs> so some. Huh? He made me go get my switch. He said, go get a switch. Uh, I don't know what that means, by the way, at this point. Oh, because so, you're a little kid. Yeah. Go get one. And I'm from Kawhi. They don't say switch, you know, apparently. Other people say switch. So I didn't know, which made him kind of more mad. So then he had to brief you on what a switch was? Yeah, he didn't This like is that. the thing I'm going to beat you with. <laughs> kind of like digging your own grave in a way you know very Concep- similar conceptually very similar. yeah very similar yeah back to the book it made such an impression on me that i recorded his words in my diary under ordinary circumstances a junior company officer attempts to reflect his company commander's leadership style but easy company's lieutenants found that they simply could not emulate the image of sobel and still live with themselves sobel had no friends within the company and few within the regiment at the end of each day, he went one way, and we lieutenants went another, hoping not to run into him at the officer's club. He lacked confidence in his own ability as an infantry commander. He was, he was completely honest, but he couldn't read a map to save his neck. His knowledge of tactics and fire maneuver was extremely poor. So, horrible situation. And, you know, this is, this is one of those things where He's talking about how everyone, no one wanted to hang around with him, right? And and I've heard leaders say, a good leader is not going to be liked, or not going to be loved by everyone. And that that's, there's some truth to that, right? Of course, mm-hmm. not not everyone's going to love you, but there's also a difference when no one likes you. Yeah, that you're not doing a good job. You're not doing a good job at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I hung out with all my guys all the time mm-hmm. through the chain of command. Everyone wanted to hang out. Let's let's go. Let's mm. let's hang out. Wasn't running away from me at the end of work <laughs> to escape. Yeah, that's that's not a good sign. Yeah, like one guy say, "I'm not here to make friends." Yeah, that's another that's classic, like, right? I'm yeah. not here to make friends. No, but I actually, you know, there's I heard I've heard officers say that in the military, SEAL officers. I've heard say, "Look, you're you," and they'll they'll say like, hey, "It's not a popularity contest," which right. it's not. Clearly, you're going to make decisions that are going to be hard for people to swallow. But to have people running away from you because they don't like you as a human being, that's right. not a good position to be in. You're, mm-hmm. you're not doing a good job as a leader. Mm-hmm. You need to reassess what you're, what you're, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Mm. And this is kind of reflective of what Dick Winter's attitude was. Back to the book. Easy company didn't belong to me. It belonged to the soldiers. I was privileged to be a small part of its history. Officers, and commanders in particular, are merely caretakers. That the paratroopers respected me is more than enough reward. So there's just totally, totally different attitude, right? And there's something weird that happens with the military. You'll hear a guy, it's it's a contradictory state, there's a dichotomy. You'll hear a guy say, my soldiers. Right. Or my Marines. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways that that can be taken. One of them is very positive. My soldiers. I am going to take care of my soldiers. Hey, don't come down here and talk to my soldiers like that. Right. Or, hey, you know, I need to make sure my soldiers have the gear that they need. I need to make sure my Marines have. And that's a, they mean that in the best possible way. There's another side to that, which is completely negative, which is, mm-hmm. these are my Marines. Meaning you own them meaning. I'll do what I want with them, right? And so I've seen guys 
on both sides of that edge and you can hear a good you can hear a good leader say my marines you can hear a good leader say my soldiers you can hear a good leader say my seals and and think of it in a positive way and you can have a crappy leader say my soldiers my marines my seals and you just think dude no <laughs> stop and so for and especially when you get dick winters who is you know universally respected in his in in the military and definitely in his battalion and his in his company and he's a guy that's saying, look, it was theirs. That just mm-hmm. tells you th- that's where your leadership perspective should come from. Yeah. I always felt that a better way, to, instead of saying my, one of the few things, as far as feelings go, because I, 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 I experience that a lot when people be like, my this and that, you know? And it's, I see what you're doing. It's like, you're just the boss and the owner of yeah, all exactly. this kind of thing, you know, kind of thing. But with, it felt like, and feels like with people like my soldiers, you know, there is a lot of room for like, cause, cause man, these are my brothers, exactly. my, you know, my guys, but let's say if they're talking about like something else, like a big one, um, like the bartenders I used to work with every once in a while, you'd have one and say, well, I got this and you know, my bar. And you know, when they talk to the customers, you know, they'll yeah. be like, Hey, what kind of, I don't know, vodka do you have? He goes, well, my best vodka is, you know, this and that. And then they'd say my, you know, kind of like, I'm the master of this whole domain here. Everything here is mine and that I can bestow upon you yeah. kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That always kind of, well, they do do it out. definitely in the military with inanimate objects, not just yeah. soldiers and Marines and, and sailors. They do it with inanimate objects, and yeah. you learn that in boot camp, where they, you know, they say, "Why are you on my parade deck?" Right. Yes. And yes. it gives you this feeling of like, "Dang, this guy's <laughs> really into this parade deck." Meaning, you know, where you do marching, yeah. and they say, "Get off my parade deck." Yeah. And it instills that kind of personal pride about something. So yeah. again, even that one can go both ways. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, huh. I guess it really you really have to understand what your intent is behind what you're saying and you have yeah. to be careful i i always i i feel subconscious about that and i'll give you an example <laughs> my gym yeah right my mm-hmm. gym yeah. when i when i talk about victory mma which you know we have partners and it's not solely my gym yeah. but it's my gym where i cha- train right but sometimes someone will say something and i'll feel it, it, like oh where do you train you know and and i could say I train in my gym. You know what I mean? I feel like a real <laughs> turd when I do that. It's like, oh, Victory MMA and Fitness, you know, yeah. yeah. Oh, Dean Lister, Jeff Glover, yeah, that's where I train. And, oh, wait, do you own that place? Yeah, yeah, I'm one of the owners, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, you they don't like that. My. All you got to say. Just be careful. What Just be I, careful with it. <laughs> be careful with that, too. I always thought if you said our, you know, especially sure. even in a bartender situation, what we have, it's kind of like us as a, as an establishment, right. you know, kind of thing. I'm part of that. When you say our, you're part of it, you know, so it kind of still puts that forward. Like I'm kind of giving this to you or offering whatever I'm taking some ownership, but it's like, I'm not the boss of this thing. It kind of feels that way. That's what I always thought. Yeah. So even if you like in your situation, if you're like, you know, someone say, Hey, Doc, where do you train? We say, well, at our gym. You know, yeah. and it's kind of ambiguous as well, which kind of seems more humble, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, you could be just a member, but at least you're part of that community, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, use art. We'll you got to be careful. That's, that's what we're going to That's all I'm saying is you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, fully. Careful with my Marines, <laughs> my soldiers. And again, sometimes that's the most positive thing mm-hmm. you could possibly say. Mm-hmm. These are my SEALs. Hey, don't come down here and, and think you're gonna put my seals out in the field in a bad situation. Not happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're protective. They're your brothers. You you know, 
You yep. have ownership of them, but it's not, it's in a, the positive way. Yeah. As opposed to, look, I'll deploy my seals wherever I see fit. <laughs> like, oh, put a put a red flag on that dude's face. Yeah. <laughs> right. Back to the book. I think of Easy Company every day. We sustained 150% casualties between the night that we jumped into Normandy and VE Day. 150% casualties. For those of you that are wondering how you do that, how you do that is you have people getting wounded multiple times and coming back to the front, and when your replacements show up, they get wounded too. So you, you know, you've got whatever, 150 people in your, in your company, and over the course of time, People get wounded and leave, and new people come in to take their place, and they get wounded as well. And that's how you get up over a hundred percent of your people being wounded. The result of sharing all the stress throughout training and combat has created a bond between the men of Easy Company that will last forever. In a sense, I don't think I ever left Company E. I may never again see the type of men in this outfit, but to me. Easy Company will always be my company in the sense that I will always remain a part of it. To this day, they remain my second family. I still look at these men with great respect, respect I can't describe in words. So there, he makes it same thing. Like he feels uncomfortable saying, Mine, he has to put a, a quantifier on it mm-hmm. and explain, hey, not in that sense, but I'll always be a part of it. That's mm-hmm. why it's mine. Mm-hmm. More about leadership, back to the book. Leadership is difficult to define. They talk about leadership at West Point every day. Leadership starts with honesty, dedication, and having a man who is dependable and fair. If you never deviate from the standards that you established, men have faith in you, and you'll be out front to set the example. Sergeant Talbert once told me, sir, I'd follow you into hell. I take a great deal of pride in his remark. So again, we're getting this leadership starts with honesty, dedication, dependable and fair. So important, so important being fair. And you know, you see that a lot when it comes to doling out punishment, when people make mistakes. Mm. Are you fair or not? You know, does that person really deserve to lose their pay for 90 days or go on bread and water or whatever kind of punishment you're going to bestow on someone? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? And people know if things are fair or not. Yeah. People know what's reasonable. Hey, do you think that, you know, when people say I'm I'm going to make an example out mm-hmm. of out of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, for sometimes it'd be it's for different reasons. Maybe yeah. like, "Oh, I've been letting people slack, so I got to I got to make an example out of somebody to kind of reestablish the discipline kind of thing." Or maybe you know, as a boss or whatever, you really don't like this specific violation. Like you just re- it's just one of your things, you know, so you can make an example for that reason. Do you think that that's fair? It can be. Yeah. But it's also a touchy subject you tell me I personally think let's say I'd been given some slack and people have been showing up a little bit late showing up a little bit late and I'm kind of like hey man you know we need to be a little more on time and then finally on a Thursday <clears throat> guy shows up late for the meeting and I say hey you're suspended you're grounded you're you know you have to work this weekend I, pu- I punish him hard super yeah. hard 
that doesn't make sense, right? Right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And people say, oh, you know, I'm yeah. not, it's not being consistent because people have been being like, however, if I was to say, hey guys, check it out, Bill just walking in right now and I've been letting it slide. And I'll tell you what, this is where it's getting us. We've been later and later. We start slacking here. We're going to start slacking in other places. We can't afford to slack right now. Our mission's too important. From now on, if we're late, if you're late showing up to this meeting or you're late to an evolution that we're about to do, I'm going to drop the hammer. Yeah. So don't be late. Is that fair? Yeah. Fair warning, explanation as to why, yeah. that's fair in my opinion. Just going yeah. off the handle and, and smashing someone because you want to make an example of them, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Can it be useful? Yes. If someone, if there's a clearly delineated expectation that's been set and right. it gets violated for whatever reason and mm. you are going to crush and destroy to set an example and actually we get to a point where he talks about that in here there is an example set mm-hmm. and that has to send a message to everyone yeah that yeah can do that i've done that with my family you yeah know? hey Thank here's you. the line if you cross it you will remember for yeah. a very long time that you made a bad decision yeah and my other kids when i've done that to some of you know, one of my kids that has made a bad decision mm-hmm. they all remember all of them yeah, they don't want to make that mistake. Yeah, it seems like you don't want uh, to cross the line. No, no, not at all. Like it, how you said, if you give them kind of ample warning, where you kind of give them the tools to yeah. make their own decision, sure. kind of thing. Even if you are changing the policy or whatever, you know, harsher punish- punishments, all this stuff. As long as yeah, you warn them like how you're saying that seems like fair. And the a huge one, which I always kind of thought was, if it applies to everyone, you know, like if. If this violation, this punishment for this violation applies to everyone, sure, it just happens to be this guy because he just happened. He's be the one. He happens to be the one that that committed the violation or whatever. But this rule, this policy applies to everybody. Yeah, and also when you when you explain these things, you don't blame them. Yeah. If you notice, even when I just said, you know, hey guys, I've been right. letting slack yeah. here. You, yeah. you don't say, look, you guys have been slack. No, so look, I didn't make it clear why this is important. Yeah. And therefore, you guys have been, you know, I've been letting you slack. You guys have been showing up late. That's a problem. We can't have that problem anymore. So you just don't start pointing the fingers at everyone. Yeah. And then hammering them with harsh (laughs) punishments. No, not a good idea. Speaking of leadership, back to the book. I believe that some men and women are born with the inherent qualities that make them good leaders. Writing to his son, John, who is a cadet at West Point in 1943, General Eisenhower once said, the one quality that can be developed by studious reflection and practice is the leadership of men. I agree with Ike. Leaders are not born. Leaders are made, and they are made by solid effort and hard work. So there's a little contradictory in there because he says, look, some people are born with qualities that make them a good leader, but you can learn to be a good leader. I totally agree with that. I've always said that. Some people have the qualities that make them a good leader naturally, or they love some of them, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them will be really articulate, some of them will be very charismatic, very dynamic, loud, have a lot of presence. Those are all characteristics that will differentiate in different people, and if you have a lot of those, you're gonna have a naturally easier time being a good leader. Mm-hmm. Now, occasionally you get people that have some of those qualities, but they're idiots, mm-hmm. and those are the worst, because they can get people to follow them, even though they don't know where they're going. Yeah. Those are bad situations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, hard work, studying, right? Mm-hmm. Studying leadership, I, you know, today, I already learned something. Need to increase my focus on honesty as a leadership quality. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I'm always studying, always learning, and we all need to be. That's how we're going to become a better leader. And a lot of the studying that I did when I was growing up in the teams was just, I was watching and thinking about why these leaders were doing what they're doing. What mm. is making them do this? Good leader, why is why, why, why does that, why do we respond to that well? Bad leader, why don't we respond well to what he's doing? I wasn't sitting there consciously thinking about it. Actually, no, in some, in some cases I was actually consciously thinking about it. You know, consciously thinking, wait, why does no one want to follow this guy? Mm. How is he acting that we all want to walk away from him? Mm. Why is that happening? And then when you get a good leader, I'd say, yeah, this, why is this guy such a good leader? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I did consciously do that and study, not from books, mm-hmm. but from life yeah. to try and learn. Yeah. And that's how you can become better. Here's a little note too. And, and you wanna talk about holding the line. If you aren't in good physical shape, forget it. You are not going to be a good leader. Well, certainly in a military environment, that is true. Are there some civilian leaders that aren't in the best shape? Yeah, there are. Would those leaders be doing a better job if they were in better physical condition? Yes, they would. It's like that that thing that starting strength, uh, Coach Ripito says. I, I, I post, I've never talked about it, but I posted it. You know, he's talking about how physical strength is good. Mm-hmm. And people that say that physical strength aren't good, he says, you know, you, I forget the exact quote, but he's basically saying, I, I know physical strength is good. And if you take someone that says physical strength isn't good and isn't important, and then you add 120 pounds to their squat mm-hmm. and then ask them how they're doing now, <laughs> they're going to be doing better. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be doing better. Mm-hmm. The more you can deadlift, the better you're going to feel. You don't feel worse when you can deadlift more. You don't no. feel worse when you can squat more. You feel better. Yeah. Well, why is that? There's a million reasons why. Confidence, overcoming the challenge, you're actually physically stronger, your mm-hmm. mental clarity goes up. So yeah, of course, be in good shape. Be in good shape. If you're worried about your health, you're, you're not gonna be able to focus on being a good leader. And in the military, or in any job where that demands physical exertion, you have to be in good shape. Otherwise, people are looking at you and you're falling apart, you can't be falling apart on a patrol. You can't be falling apart during a during a combat swimming operation where you you know you need to swim. You yeah. need to swim far. You're going to swim for four straight hours on a combat swimmer operation. If you're weak and you can't do that, you think your men are going to respect you? Mm-hmm. They're not. I'll go yeah. ahead and answer that question for you. Yeah. Is that kind of like the hockey coach who doesn't even know how to ice skate? You know, there are coaches that have never participated in the sport that they coach and they're good. They're I mean, you can look at Greg Jackson, who's a great mixed martial arts coach. He's never been a mixed martial arts fighter. Yeah, but he knows how to fight, though, you know? Yeah, certainly does. Yes. But he hasn't actually fought. So how can he be a good coach? What about Duke Rufus? He's never fought MMA, has he? Oh, MMA? I'm not sure. Yeah, we know he's a champion kickboxer, but how can he be be such a great coach at MMA? Yeah, because you can connect the dots and stuff like that. Exactly. And of course, there's you know there's exceptions there, but generally speaking, and plus you're talking about a little bit more of a broad thing, like a leader. Like who who are we gonna like follow? Yeah, yeah. You know, and plus, because we're talking about skate. coaches, I mean, you coaches are are not participating anymore. That's why they're coaching, yeah. right? So yeah. I guess those are really stupid examples. Yeah, well, as far <laughs> because, as coaches go, because because you know, custom auto with Mike Tyson. Obviously, he wasn't getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. 
right? Yeah. But he's a great coach, a fantastic coach, one of the most, you know, one of the most respected coaches of all time. Yeah. And the results are a little bit more like um, recognizable, like they're less ambiguous, like a leader's results, quote unquote. Yeah. And we're looking, but we're looking at leaders in the field, like leaders yeah. in the job that are leading a group to yeah. accomplish a mission, yeah. right? That's different than a coach. A coach yeah. is outside the group. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. So we're talking about someone that's in the group. Yeah, you got to be, you got to be able to maintain. You got to be able to stay with your team yeah. physically. And you know, it's not like you need to be the best. I was never the fastest guy. I was never the strongest guy. Mm. But I wasn't going to be falling behind right. on, a, on a patrol because yeah. I wasn't in good shape. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And the only way, way that doesn't happen is you need to stay in shape. How do you stay in shape? Got to have discipline. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So these questions answer themselves at some point. Maybe some yep. point this podcast will just come on here and sit here in silence. <laughs> yep. Good now idea. speaking of now, this is this is good that you you were talking about this. Here is a heavy punishment handed out. Talking about Colonel Bob Sink, who was the leader of the five oh sixth parachute infantry regiment. Here we go. Back to the book. Colonel Bob Sink certainly was one of the best. He set high standards and never compromised on those standards. After the paratroopers of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment earned their jump wings, Sink granted a 10-day furlough, but cautioned the men to conduct themselves appropriately. Several paratroopers reported late for duty after their furloughs expired. Sink called another regimental formation and publicly humiliated one paratrooper from each of his nine companies. They called out the name of the last soldier to report to duty, and that paratrooper was marched in front of the formation under escort. An officer stripped him of his unit patch, forced him to unblouse his boots, and then escorted him from the field. What Sink was saying was paratroopers may be elite, but they had to follow the Army's rules and regulations. I liked that. For some reason, Sink liked me, respected me. He was always the man instrumental in getting me my next job. So there's a heavy punishment. Hmm. Now, that's that's a clear message being sent, right? Hmm. Clear message being sent. And I, I, I bet... Colonel Sink at that time weighed, I mean, he's got three, nine companies, so he's got hundreds and hundreds of guys, hundreds and hundreds of guys, and he's going to make an example out of nine of them, and it's going to be a real clear example, and that's going to leave an impression on a thousand guys, you know, mm-hmm. close to a thousand guys. Yeah. That might be worth it, <laughs> and he probably judged that it was worth it. Yeah. So... Interesting perspective. Yeah, I guess the question is, is that fair? I would, say, I would say to the guys that got booted from the regiment, I'd say their thoughts were that it was unfair. Mm-hmm. I would say for the guys that remained in the regiment, that realized that they had to maintain the standard, that realized there was gonna be no slack, mm-hmm. and that worked hard to make sure they maintained that, and therefore were more prepared for combat, I'd say it was real fair. Right. So bigger picture kind of thing. Yeah. They were kind of the martyr, you know, to Yeah. Like it's a real big picture thing. Mm-hmm. And who knows what kind of behind the scenes. I mean we'd have to get some details. If we were yeah, really yeah. gonna cast judgment on that, like yeah. you know, maybe some of those guys were kind of slackers anyways. Yeah, yeah. And the company commander was like, Hey dude, yeah, we don't want this guy. 
you know, let's get rid of this guy or whatever, you know? Yeah. And he only took certain members of the people that missed their furlough. He, so he didn't even that's not fair. He only took certain members or certain mm-hmm. people that, that missed their furlough. Didn't take all of them. Yeah. Just the last one to report. We don't, we don't take that around here. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting dynamic. Yep. It's an interesting dynamic, but it's definitely showing. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily would have done that. Yeah. I can I, my assum- my my assessment. I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Not not one guy from each company. Maybe like the two guys that grossly violated it. I don't think I would need to do nine. Yeah. But guess what, Colonel Sink did. <laughs> don't mess with Colonel Sink. Uh-huh. And that's a good thing. Little little kind of image mm-hmm. for you to have. Like, don't mess with Colonel Sink. Don't mess around in the battalion in yeah. the, in the regiment. We don't play. Yeah. Another leader that he talks about here is McAuliffe. Back to the book. What we liked about McAuliffe was that he allowed us to do our jobs. You didn't have a lot of interference from McAuliffe. But with Taylor in command, this is another person, he told you what you needed to do here. He had to run everything. You can't do a good job if you don't have the chance to use your imagination and creativity. In my mind, Taylor was more interested in in impressing his superiors than watching out for his men. Taylor was such a contrast with British General Montgomery. So he talks a little bit. Oh, okay, so first of all, clearly decentralized command, don't give people the clear you know, specifics on how to do every little thing. Let them get creative, let them come up with a solution. Mm. Perfect, boom, we hear that over and over again. Why do we hear it over and over again? Cause it's right, cause it's right. That's mm. why we hear it over and over again. Now he talks about the famous British General Montgomery, Monty, who always gets portrayed a little bit stiff and a little bit British, right? Mm-mm. And he says in here that the writers don't didn't know him, didn't see him on the battlefield, didn't see what he was like. And here's what he says, here's what Dick Winter said about Montgomery. Back to the book, Montgomery was the real deal. I saw him on a number of occasions, and he always impressed me as a commander who lived the lifestyle that was beyond reproach for his staff to follow. He set the example. He addressed every division that was scheduled to participate in the invasion. He called us together and had every soldier take off his helmet so he could see the troops better. Yeah, props to Monty, right? Going around and and talking to every every single division and then said hey boys take off your helmets I want to see your faces before you roll Mm. it's legit props there's you know this book a lot of this book is about self-discipline even this part right here back to the book (laughs) self-discipline keeps you doing your job without it you lose your pride and forget the importance of self-respect in the eyes of your fellow men Pride keeps you going on. This is what I feared I would lose, the loss of the will to measure up to my men. So once you say, you know what, I don't care what my guys think anymore, you've lost it, right? Mm-hmm. If I say, look, I don't care what the guys think of me, think yeah. of what a driving force it is to have your team looking at you and saying, I'm going to make sure these guys respect me and I'm proud of what I'm doing mm-hmm. compared to I don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. And you can see, well, they can see what when this happens to people, not just in the military or a business organization, but in life, yeah, in life. At a certain point, you see a bum in the street, at a certain point, that bum said, you know what, I don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. 
Yeah. I don't care what my family thinks of me. I don't care what the society thinks of me. Yeah. Of course, I'm not talking about every single bum, but a lot of them. Yeah. That hey, I don't care. Generally, the, the the thing. And as soon as you see that, you, you can imagine that, that that's just like a life thing, right? Yeah. If you go through life and you say, I don't care what anyone else thinks, which is a contradiction for me. Right, because I say all the time, like I don't care what people think. Yeah, but that's to just to a degree, like you, and it's obvious. Just put a little bit of thought into you. Don't care about what people think well, as it appears. You don't care what people think on a superficial level. You know, on a profound level, True. you do. That's why you're, you know, that's why part of your morality is like, you know, fairness, doing the right thing, all this discipline stuff. It's for you, but in regards to social cues and all these things, like that, that's beneficial to your success to function in a society yeah and i've said this before like about the seal teams and me being in the seal teams and i had this completely had this attitude i don't care like for instance i don't care what happens like i don't care if i get fired Mm. i'm gonna do the right thing i don't care i don't care what they think of me Mm. and at the same thing at the same time there's nothing that was more important to me than my reputation in the seal teams Mm. i don't want you know if if something was gonna give you a bad reputation, like what we just talked about, if you fall out of a patrol as a leader, or as anyone, like if you fall out of a patrol, you're gonna, no one's ever gonna forget it in the SEAL teams. If you're too weak to do something, you're gonna be remembered by that forever. And that, I didn't want that, ever. To be like, oh, Jocko did this, Jocko couldn't finish the patrol, Jocko was a bad leader, Jocko, I didn't want that to be the reality. And so therefore, you work hard, you stay in shape, you do your best all the time. Yeah. And that drives you. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I wasn't saying, oh, I, I, I'm concerned what my boss thinks of me, so I'm going to act a certain way. No, I was trying to do the right thing. Right. For the teams, by right. the way. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? No, like these for are the these are all tubes. Those are all fundamental things. Yeah. You know, it's a for, weird, for it's a weird balance, though, to say, look, I don't care if I get promoted, but I care more than anything about my job, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that definitely was my attitude. Right. That definitely was my attitude my whole time I was in the military. Look, I'm I'm gonna do the best job I can. I'm not doing it to get promoted. I'm not doing right. it for that reason. Yeah. But I am part of it, absolutely doing it to have the respect of my peers and yeah. my bros and the teams. Right. Your, yeah. rep, your reputation, you hear that all the time. Your reputation is everything in the SEAL teams because it's a small group of people. Yeah. You know, you have an accidental discharge with your weapon. Everybody knows about it, and they're going to know about it forever. If you mm-hmm. if you remain on the teams for whatever reason, after you have an accidental discharge, everyone's going to know it mm-hmm. from there on out, yeah. and it's not fun. That's why we got Matt, some jacked up nicknames in the SEAL teams, because <laughs> you're going to get nicknamed after your lowest point in your life. Yeah. <laughs> your biggest mistake is what you're going to get nicknamed, <laughs> or your biggest, yeah. yeah. Like, there was a guy, and I... I his nickname was Bush, and he's a great dude. Mm-hmm. His nickname was Bush. It had nothing to do with his last name, but anyways, long story short, when he was a new guy, and I I knew him, this is 15 years later, I found this out. He, so he'd been in the SEAL teams for 15 years. I'd known him as Bush the whole time. And he was parachuting. Brand new guy, showed up to the team. They're like, hey, you're going jumping today. Okay, gets in the aircraft, jumps, and he, he lands through no fault you can't even steer these round parachutes you can't barely steer them he lands in a bush with like thorns in it right <laughs> and I guess it looked pretty funny and from there on yeah is it, what's his name Bush <laughs> yeah so you're gonna get a name like that but that's a that's a really easy example because everybody yeah. knows hey that's just funny it was more of a funny thing if something funny happens to you you might yeah. get that nickname too 
Like if you get pepper sprayed by the cops, you might have the nickname Pepper. <laughs> which <laughs> I like the how direct it is. Yeah, know? there's no sense in playing around. <laughs> what else are you going to call someone that gets pepper sprayed by the cops when they're a new guy? You're going to call him Pepper. You call him Wet Eye or something. You know? Wet Eye? Yeah, you know, because your eyes get all watery after you're you not, get pepper You're not going to be in charge of nicknames over there. <laughs> Remember your guy that you thought his name was his name was Al? Yeah, but it was Owl. Yeah, Big Al Fifty Cal. Not even his name. <laughs> yeah, not even his name. Big Al Fifty Cal. Yeah, that's Wait, good. Morphed. Is that awesome? So that's why you have this weird dichotomy that's pulling at you. Is just to you're looking at your your friends, your peers in this in a leadership position. It's your men. You're looking at your men saying, hey, I don't want to let these guys down. I don't want them to view yeah. me as weak. Yeah. Weak's a bad word, but I guess it's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, I, not, that I, not that I want to maintain the image of strength, right. because part of maintaining the image of strength is by showing weakness right. and being like, I say this all the time, hey, I don't know how to do this. Hey, can mm-hmm. you give me a suggestion? I'm not talking about that type of thing. I'm talking about weak physical weakness. Physical and mental toughness or physical and mental weakness, right? That's a yeah. lot different than hey, I don't understand how to do something or or it's a lot different than humility. You can you can wanna show you can wanna maintain strength, but still have humility for sure. Yeah. You no, know, I know all kinds of, I mean I know tons of guys that are completely humble, but they're the toughest bastard you'd ever want to know mentally and physically. Mm. So I'm not talking about I need to be strong, right, stronger right. than everyone. No, I'm not talking about that at all. Yeah. I'm talking about you, physical and mental toughness you have to have. And if you don't have them as a leader, could be problematic. Yeah. Watch out for it. Back to the book. The big thing I derived from combat was the necessity of maintaining discipline. Discipline in our troops was discipline in our troops and getting the job done in combat so clearly discipline's a big part of what we're talking about here gee i wonder why now this is talking another little aspect that you know i don't talk about this a lot i think it's inherent in a lot of things that i say but it's not something that i don't use this word a lot and again i think i need to use it more back to the book character revolves around doing the right thing all the time. Character implies daily choices of right over wrong. The cadet prayer at West Point says cadets strive to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and never to be content with a half truth when the whole can be one. That gets to the heart of character. I would add that it is easier to do the right thing when everyone is looking it is more difficult to do what you should do when you are alone I like to think of character as every other virtue at the breaking point so character doing the right thing doing the right thing at all times doing the right thing when you're alone Back to the book, war doesn't alter character. War merely brings out the best that an individual has to offer. Unfortunately, it also brings forth the worst in some men. If anything, war exposes the best and worst of those who are called to fight. I know of no man who lacked character in peace and then discovered character in combat. 
So I've said this same type of thing before, especially, I mean, war. You know what we'd see on deployment is as pressure starts to build on people, you start seeing people go in two directions. Mm-hmm. And that's what we'd see. This, their character would start to reveal itself. They'd either get very, they'd rise to the occasion mm-hmm. or they would not. And they'd go in the other direction mm-hmm. and become worse. Their character would become worse or their character would become better. Mm-hmm. That's what I've seen. And the same thing, you know, when we talk about people that have maybe have a hard time dealing with war, a lot of times there's some pre-existing issues Mm. that the war inflames, Mm. right? And then if you take someone that has, that doesn't have pre-existing issues or maybe has a positive spin on things, that becomes more positive. So it's very, and then there's a bunch of people in the middle. Mm. But some of the guys that I knew that really had a hard time, they, they had issues going in. You know, they had problems, some issues going into the situation, going into war, and those problems get exacerbated mm. by the pressure and the stress of combat. Mm. So we need to watch out for that one. Hey, I think I think war is more of an amplifier mm. than a creator. I think it amplifies good character. I think it amplifies bad character. I think it amplifies issues and in either direction. So it's it's a it's a it's a powerful element to add into people's lives this this big intense piece now one of the things that this let this book captures is these letters he kind of had a pen pal uh, a female pen pal when he was at war her name is Dieta Allman and one of the things that he so he so they capture these letters and some of the letters parts of some of the letters are published in here Here's one of them back to the book first and most important. I've got my own conscience to answer to Next my parents and then I am an officer in the US Army. I am damn proud of it and with the rank and position I hold I Wouldn't think of doing anything to bring discredit to my outfit my paratrooper boots wings the airborne patch or the US Army Good morale within an outfit is usually reflected by good conduct away from it That sounds like an idealistic high school kid. I know But that's it That's how I feel So he took that stuff very very seriously and I remember (laughs) I remember back in the day pre-war I was in my third platoon and the the new guys who are all my bros now I mean these are just mugs but they were new guys and we were the senior older guys right because we'd been in the teams for like a couple years (laughs) and something happened and we gave like a like a like hey guys don't don't ever make the platoon look bad like no matter what you don't make the platoon look bad that's not allowed Mm. the platoon is comes first above everything and this one I just remember saying but then one guy made the platoon look bad and and he had to pay for it but that's the attitude the attitude Mm. is like look you don't make the platoons look bad you don't make the teams look bad Mm -hmm. we didn't really we weren't too concerned with the Navy back then we didn't really even feel like when I was that young in the SEAL teams we weren't even thinking about the big Navy Mm. we barely even recognized it we were in the teams Mm -hmm. it's more 
it's be- as I, as as the teams became bigger and more prevalent, we connected more with the big navy. But when I was a new guy in the seal, when I was in, in the seal teams as a young guy in the nineties, we were pretty much on our own. So I wasn't. I basically I wasn't like sitting there thinking, "Hey, I need to protect the reputation of the navy." I didn't care. I would now as I got older I did but back in the day it was like hey the platoon and and I was at team one at the time and team one don't make team one look bad what are you doing don't make this platoon look bad you just did that yeah you now you have to pay for that Mm. punishment will be delivered at this time (laughs) and it was (laughs) that's a that's a unfortunate situation you know these things just happen from time to time so are we not going into what the punishment was that day? The punishment, I, I, the punishment was, I'll tell you what the punishment was. Jocko punishment. The punishment was, <sighs> I am going to strike you two times in the face with an open hand. That's your punishment. <laughs> or we're going to fight. Which yeah. one do you want? That was the punishment. Yeah. He in and, and this guy was like, I'll take the two. Yeah. And I was like, roger that. And there was a little bit more tension than that. You know, yeah, fully. That's because really he was kind of like bowed up a little bit. Yeah, and I was like, oh, if you want to get it on, we'll get it on. Yeah, and yeah. then, and you know, it's funny because these guys, this group of guys, who was they, they were, they were all guys just trying to get after it and be good team guys. But we yeah. were just crazy, you know, at this point. <laughs> and the teams was literally everything in my life. Mm. So when I was like mad about disrespecting or making the platoon look bad, it, mm-hmm. it like hurt me. Yeah. I was that crazy that I just didn't want the platoon to look bad. Yeah. You know, and you did something that made the platoon look bad. Yeah. It, it, it bothered me. It really, truly bothered me. You made yeah, something man. that made Team One look. I mean, I'd been there, you know, since I was a kid. Yeah. And it was everything to me. Mm-hmm. And so when you didn't, when you made us look bad, I wasn't happy. And not just I wasn't happy because I was a jerk or I wasn't happy. Because I was being a jerk at the time. But talking to these guys, you know, years later, you talk to these guys, they're like, yeah. That guy in particular, he's like, I hated going to work. I hated you guys. And I was like, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm sorry. You know? And and then they'll be like, but I'm glad it was like that. Because everybody yeah. has that feeling. It was yeah. the old school. It was like with the old breed. Right, you know, right. hey, that's the way it is. This is the, We hold the line. Mm-hmm. We don't make the platoon look bad. We make the platoon look good. We work hard. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. It was like a little gang. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah, that's crazy, those two choices, because they're like, they're just different. Because some people would rather go do the fight mm-hmm. because, you know, at least they, they kind of go down swinging kind of attitude. But the the potential for damage is way more <laughs> in a fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, and then, Actually, I agree with you, and you could see where you could make a case for both of those selections. But yep. there's also something cool. It's like I'll take two hits to the face, yep. open hand, cool. I'm a man. I screwed up. I think that's the right. the reason I respected it was because it was it was like yeah, I did screw up. Right. So I'll just a- take and it. I'll take it. I yeah. deserve punishment. Right. Give it to me. Yeah. And that was that. Yeah. You know? Well, that's and then we move on. No factor. Yeah. Technically, the two to the face are is way easier because it's way quicker. You you know you know what to expect yep. kind of thing. I mean, unless you're scared of like oh hitting your head and dying or something, you know yeah, some yeah, yeah. some off. They were open thing. hand though. They were open hand. Yeah. See, so, so you're not gonna knock anybody out with open hand. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, usually you're not. Yeah. Maybe I could. But I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. So it, a lot of that is like that. How you say you were kind of building some tension with it. It's like that's a big part of the punishment as well. That psychological yeah. like torture. Also, turmoil. Yeah, and, and and this also reveals my own personal immaturity. Right. These are this is it, like seriously. This is <laughs> yeah. when I'm thinking about it. This is just an immature 
you know, I was probably 22 years old, mm-hmm. maybe 23 years old, but you know, young and immature and not getting the best guidance, not understanding things, not understanding that I wasn't helping build a cohesive unit, not understanding that this guy's probably thinking, oh, I don't want to help him. And it, you know what I mean? It wasn't mm. smart. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this stuff was smart. I'm telling you the reality of the way it was. And the yeah. way it was in my head was, hey, this is my life. Yeah. This SEAL platoon, I know it's, it's, it sounds crazy, this SEAL platoon that we're in is my whole life and I actually don't care about anything else. Mind you, this is in the 90s. There's no war going on. Yeah. I'm just a young, crazy kid and the only thing I know and the only thing I care about is the SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. And you know, you make the, uh, the platoon look bad, this platoon is my life yeah, and you right. just made us look bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't stand that. Yeah. And I don't want it to be that way. So young, immature me, what do I do? Hey, this, there's got to be punishment, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of the attitude we had. And th- there are some benefits to it, but the, yeah. the, you know, it's outweighed. If I would love to go back and be a better mentor and be like, "Hey, man, this is the mistake you made." You know, we need to make. You know, I would love to do that, but you can't. Yeah. You're a dumb. I was a young, dumb kid that was raised that way. By the way, as well, that's how we were raised. Yeah. And there are some benefits to it. And like I said, even those guys that did platoons with me when I was quote unquote an old guy, even though we were nothing, we'd never been to combat, we were meaningless, but we had a couple more years in the SEAL team. So therefore right. you're an old guy mm-hmm. and the new guys are anyone with with no deployments, mm-hmm. which is actually pathetic in its own right because the term in the SEAL teams being, oh, you're a new guy, that was from guys that were in Vietnam. That mm-hmm. you hadn't been in combat yet, right, so right. you're a new boy. You're a cherry boy. Mm. So guess what? I was a cherry boy for <laughs> Technic- 13 years Technic- because I never yeah. shot my weapon at the enemy. I hadn't been in combat until I went to my first deployment to Iraq. So it was actually, from that perspective, it's embarrassing because here I was big. You know, right. I'm an old guy. I wasn't an old guy. Yeah. I'd never been in combat before. What am I talking about? Yeah. But you, you, you take what you had at the time, which yeah. was this organization, the SEAL teams, my platoon, and again, you can't, I can't describe really how important the SEAL platoon was to me. It was, my, it, well, let me put it this way. It was my whole life. There you go. What did I do when I woke up in the morning? Went in, went into work, worked out with my SEAL platoon mates. What do we do then? We worked all day. What do we do for lunch? We ate together. What do we do at night? We went and got dinner. What do we do after that? We went and had drinks. What do we do after that? We hung out all night. What do we do after that? We went to sleep, woke up and did the same thing day after day. That was my family. Yeah. And you just have this, this passion for your family and you it just meant it was the most important thing in the world to me for my whole adult life but when you take that and you put that on a you know young kid yeah, and you know everyone's like, oh yeah, Jocko's he he's a big reader. I wasn't reading anything back then. I was reading the the platoon handbook, right? I wasn't reading I wasn't reading Shakespeare. Sure. Yeah What was I doing in high school? I wasn't paying attention during high school. I was wanting to be a commando. I was running through the woods, pretending I had a machine gun. So you take that kid and you put him in a situation where the thing that he cares about the most has been scorned, violated, Mm, or scorned. He's going to try and handle it to the best of his ability. Start slapping people. So again, not, not proud of it, but occasionally some people got slapped around. Yeah, that's how though. You know, uh, yeah. you know, when you're a basic young basic guy, you're going to handle things in a young basic kind of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whatever. It's it's caveman. Yeah. It's caveman scenario. 
There you go. And and the, and the other thing is, and, and you know, those guys that were in those early platoons when I was, a, like I said, a quote unquote old, years later, they're like, yeah, that was awesome. So glad I got raised that way. They're proud of it. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, you, uh, you, you, when I look back on it, I know I was not a good leader, right? Yeah, yeah. By any stretch. Yeah, that's kind of like when I look at my old videos. You know, at the time They're I'm like, yeah, good. they were dope. You know, but you're like, you, you just know better ways now. You know, you're just you're just better now. Yeah. You know, hindsight 2020. When yeah, and then deals. the other thing you got to be careful of is setting the bar. Like, let's say I was in a SEAL platoon right now, and now I'm going to set the bar so high that I lose track of the f- lose vision of the fact that like hey the guy that I'm trying to convince right now is a 23 year old thing and the most important thing in his world is this is funny like I was talking to someone the other day and I was like I couldn't remember what sequel platoon what the phonetic letter of a certain sequel platoon I was in at a certain time mm-hmm. I was like yeah, I forget what platoon that was yeah. and to me at the time when we were in those sequel platoons that letter of that phonetic alphabet we were in an alpha platoon that mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. and now I look back and it's like, oh yeah, what platoon was that? Because as I matured and as I saw the rest of the world, I realized that even though a SEAL platoon is very important and certainly it's the most important thing when you're in it, when you're in a task unit or you're overseas and there's multiple people running around and there's huge missions going, you you, you op- your mind gets opened up yeah, and you see more. And mm-hmm. the, the little thing that you used to be so engulfed in your head becomes becomes less that's all there is to it yeah now I'm telling you guys in the seal platoons there's no better job like it's the best thing in the world and I'm sure you know I never served in a in a Marine Corps infantry platoon or in a in a army US Army infantry platoon but I saw them I saw what they were like and they have that same you know bond that that you get from being in those tough units so uh, there's something very cool about that about being a grunt yeah, which is what you are in the SEAL teams. You might think all oh, the special operations or whatever. You, you're a grunt. You you carry a machine gun. Yeah, and you do hard things. That's what being a grunt is. You're doing hard things. You're carrying a bunch of weight around. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Love those days. <laughs> Love those days. Yeah. Man. All right. So. I just want to be back in the SEAL team. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I can kind of so fun, yeah. so so awesome. Yeah, so awesome, so meaningful. I would have fought you. Yeah. You, okay. Up. Yeah. It you know been what would have happened. You know what would have happened. I don't know. I don't know, bro. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the good things about knowing a little tiny bit of jujitsu, which I actually knew a little bit. And yeah, that was enough. Yeah, you that can offer to enough. fight guys with com- you know with confidence. Just confidence. What if you offer to fight them and they kick your ass? You're like, dang, my, and, that backfired. And here's the thing: they didn't know any better. All they thought was they didn't. I don't think I ever said like I know jujitsu and you don't. Right. But it was just I was so confident, like, oh, I actually know this and I know that I can choke this dude. Mm-hmm. That they just said, oh, you know what, this guy's probably gonna kick my ass. Yeah. And the weird thing is, there's probably guys along the way that could have kicked my ass. <laughs> You know, some kid that wrestled in high school, yeah, yeah. all double leg, boom, yeah. and now I'm slammed on the ground and getting punched in the head. I don't, I can't. You know, it's it's lesson not learned. Yeah, lesson not learned. Dang. I'm lucky that never happened. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so check. All right. Here we're talking about. So I just was talking about. This is interesting. So I was just talking about mental strength and physical strength. Well, here we go. Back to the book. Moral courage 
is a far rarer commodity than physical courage. In that, I agree with Patton. I have known many officers who were physically brave, but who did not have the intestinal fortitude to organize the chaos around them. Those officers who were the most vocal about what they were going to do to the enemy often were the first to fall apart when the chips were down. Fear is not only debilitating, but its existence also destroys the cohesion of a command. It is the responsibility of a commander to identify the limits of courage, break the paralysis of fear, and motivate his soldiers to continue with the mission. Courage conquers fear. I like just that that part, and I don't think I did this in helmet for my pillow. There was a part in helmet for my pillow that I pulled out when I was talking to one of my SEAL buddies, and I was because he listened to it. He said, "Yeah, yeah," and I was telling him this one part that I didn't put in the podcast, mm-hmm. and I sent him a picture of it from the book, this little paragraph, but it's basically one of the instructors, one of the drill instructors was all yelling about, we're gonna kill and blah, 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 and then he says, yeah, the next time I saw him, we were in, you know, on island in the fight and he was getting taken away after breaking down. So this is what he's saying here. A lot of guys that are the loudest about what they're gonna do to the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, you're talking a big game, you Mm -hmm. know, but what's really good, you know where else that happens? UFC. Yeah. Right. MMA. Yeah. yeah. MMA. It happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna. Kick, I'm gonna crush that guy. And the yeah. other guy's sitting there going, "Okay, bring it." Yeah. Or he's in the locker room, like explaining to all his teammates, "Yeah, I'll just. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that." And it's almost like, oh, yeah, it's weird. They're trying to. They're trying to convince themselves. Convince themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what. That's what's going on here. Same yeah. thing, right? Somebody that's trying sense. to convince themselves, they're not confident in themselves. Yeah. Back to the book. I suspect every soldier at one time or another experiences a degree of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the willingness to rise above fear and do the things you know need to be accomplished. All soldiers hope that they will measure up the first time they get into a fight. I certainly was no exception, but I believe I had prepared myself very well that once I came under fire, I knew instinctively what needed to be done. I think I was more apprehensive, particularly before D-Day, than I was afraid. Maybe apprehension is the first stage of fear. I'm not really sure. You have to remember that Easy Company was an elite unit, as were all paratroopers. We had trained for nearly two years before we jumped into Normandy. I think I saw far more excitement in the eyes of my men than I did fear. After Braycourt, we felt as if we were seasoned veterans even though we knew worse days were ahead. Yeah. That apprehension, and definitely my first deployment to Iraq, mm. when you had all these guys, bro, the guys were so fired up to get it to do real missions and get after it mm. that I, I think it was much more excitement than it was fear, especially mm. in the beginning. And in the beginning, you know, there wasn't a lot of casualties going on. We were kind of dominating. Right, right. And, you know, even showing up to Ramadi, same thing. Guys were like, sign me up. What mission? I'm going. Yeah. And the more you, you spend time in that, the more you realize what the threat is and you start losing guys or having guys getting wounded, that's when you start saying, okay, wait a second. I'm not sure I want to die today. Yeah. And then guys got to overcome that on a daily basis. Yeah. Speaking of fear, Steve Ambrose, who's a military historian, written a bunch of books, including Band of Brothers, 
Steve Steve Ambrose says that heavy artillery bombardment will make even the most seasoned veteran eventually break I disagree a leader has to overcome fear convince himself that every enemy shell or bullet is not targeting him the same is true in a company or a battalion leaders must ensure that strength and cohesion is a stronger force than fear this is especially true in men who have been scarred by prolonged combat Ambrose was correct when he titled the chapter band of Bro- in band of brothers breaking point as he describes the horrendous artillery barrage that inflicted so many casualties on easy company in the boy Jacques company strength was below 50% and many of the non-commissioned officers were killed or wounded without direct supervision by leaders easy company as well as the remainder of the battalion could have easily been debilitated by an increased sense of morality and fear that is precisely why I made it a point to visit the front lines as often as possible soldiers need to sense need a sense that their leaders and commanders are in the game with them leadership by example is even more important in these situations I noticed that when men are at the edge of their physical endurance you tend to develop that 1,000 yard stare that you always read about tired soldiers will often take off their helmet and run their fingers through their hair talked about that before and I talk about that quite often now at times they literally drop their helmets on the ground this soldier is already losing his self-respect the battle is half lost that's a sign for the commander to take immediate action I didn't wait for the trooper to reach that stage I proactively looked for these signs every soldier wants to do the right thing you always know the proper thing to do but doing it is sometimes more difficult I never wanted a man to lose his self-respect that's what I was talking about earlier this thing of self this idea of self-respect when you don't care because you, you know you get supposed to keep your gear on all the time that's like just the code right mm-hmm. you keep your gear with you all the time you keep your gear on all the time the minute you take that off is where you start hey I don't care what these guys think anymore something mm-hmm. has happened that has made you say you know what I don't care what these guys think anymore and that's not good yeah. And again, this is such a contradiction because you know we can sit here and talk about like hey I don't care what people think and I mean that I mean that you shouldn't care what people think But at the same time It should be extremely important to you what people think and what your comrades think and that's such a weird dichotomy I, I don't think yeah. I've fully wrapped my hands around how to describe that yet and what that means I'll get there eventually hopefully sure, but But that is a very important thing and I've always felt like I don't care what people think but at the same time I deeply care what my peers think and my my men think weird dichotomy yeah i think that's a core values thing though it's like you have these core values and that's what you care about you know what you think about it what everyone else thinks about and then anything beyond that is just superficial fluff like if you don't match your socks i I, I think what the the key principle here or the the part that may help bring this together for me is i want to be doing the right thing yeah. Right. And so if I'm doing the right thing and people say, oh, Jocko's, you know, that's 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 stupid what Jocko's doing or he shouldn't be doing that. But I know in my heart I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm going to continue doing it. I don't care what you think. Yeah. There you go. But at the same time, if I know I'm doing the right thing and other people 
are are judging me, that's going to keep me in line. If I mm. well, let me let me rephrase that. If I feel like I'm going to do the wrong thing, mm. I do care what people think. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want them to think, oh, Jocko's getting weak, getting soft, getting you know whatever. Yeah. He's doing the wrong thing. He's making the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Very strange. That's the that's the dichotomy of leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Or one of them. Actually, it's not really the dichotomy of leadership. That's just a. That's just the dichotomy in life. Yeah, life. Yeah. Now there's a a, a guy named Lieutenant Compton, who who kind of breaks, a little bit, and they show it in the in the Band of Brothers movie, and they he, Dick Winters talks about it here. Back to the book. Before you go on, I know you think I'm too hard on Lieutenant Compton for walking off the line at Bastogne. Let me explain myself. Buck, that's Lieutenant Compton, was nicknamed Buck, and he walked off the line. Buck was a great combat leader. He was a superb platoon leader in Normandy and Holland. In fact, I would say he was one of the best. At Bastogne, he broke after some of his friends were seriously wounded in the constant artillery barrages. There is a danger of getting too close to the men, and Buck crossed that line. When you see your friends getting maimed, it makes it more difficult to go on. That's why I always maintained a certain detachment from the paratroopers in Easy Company. Am I too harsh on Buck? Maybe, but a leader needs to rise above fear. The easiest thing to do is quit. And then the author asks, why didn't you crack? And Dick Winter's response is, I'm Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't quit. I made a commitment. Moral courage is based on physical fitness. Courage is a combination of willpower and determination. And determination. I was in excellent physical shape. I don't think there was a man in the out, that outfit who was in better shape than I was. And it showed. I had trained hard. In England, after we finished training, I would run at night. Blackout conditions, but I would run. Then I'd come in and go to bed. I was in maximum shape. That was the physical side of things. But there is a mental aspect of stamina as well. I've always prided myself that I do my own thinking. I have my own philosophy. I have my own answers to the reasons things have turned out in my life. By taking full accountability for my life, I've been able to meet the standards that I set for myself. I don't know any other way of saying it. Every commander must take full accountability for his actions. Stand up and be counted. As a commander, you are accountable for everything that your outfit does or fails to do. Don't worry about who receives credit when things go well. Don't play the blame game. In my case, the mantle of command provided me with the courage to succeed. Yeah. Extreme ownership. That's what he's talking about. You know, personal accountability, that's what he's talking about. Being in great physical condition, that's what he's talking about. That's discipline. Uh, you know, I guess as we read this, and I, and I, you know, I didn't read this book until a week ago. <laughs> yeah, a week ago, I read this book. So it's not like I read this book and said, hey, personal accountability is the most important thing about, you know, being a leader. No. This guy came to the same conclusion in World War II that I came to in conclusion in my experience in the military. 
Now he starts talking a little bit about combat fatigue, how much combat fatigue there was. In Normandy, I witnessed lots of stress, some in Holland, much more in Bastogne due to the intense cold, lack of sleep, and inadequate clothing. In Belgium, combat fatigue reached astronomical proportions. We had spent 70 days in the front lines in Holland and didn't have time to recover before we boarded the trucks to take us to Bastogne. On reflection, I realized what, was hap- what happened by the time the command arrived in, at Bastogne. The men had been on the front line since Normandy. Men were exhausted. No hot food, little sleep, no rest, constant tension, and intense pressure from combat. They were physically exhausted. Inclement weather and constant rain and snow made matters even worse. Physical exhaustion leads to mental exhaustion, which in turn causes men to lose discipline. The loss of self-discipline produces combat fatigue. Over and over again. Over and over again we hear that. How important is discipline? It is the most important thing. And if, if discipline is what gets people through these situations, through combat stress, through tension, through bombs, through artillery, through freezing cold, lack of food, lack of sleep, imagine what discipline can do in like a normal person's life. Yeah. Back to the book. How can you possibly compare a man who's been under just one concentrated artillery bombardment for five minutes to a place like Bastogne? where he could be in the line for weeks or months. In one of Ambrose's books, he states that prolonged artillery bombardment will break any soldier. In civilian life, of course, we refer to combat fatigue as a mental breakdown. That is exactly the way it is in combat. It's a mental breakdown. The intensity, it becomes a problem for me to express my feelings here, but I'd like to share it with you. The intensity of a fire or a heavy concentration, to be a leader, you have to be able to concentrate on that fire and move just as soon as it stops or the last rounds hit. Move, get up, start circulating among your men. Is everybody okay? Let's get up, let's move. Keep your eye open for an attack, get their attention. Move among your men as quickly as possible. And moving among them, The fact that they see you and they're talking to you, they know that you are there and you are talking to them and it makes all the difference in the world to know that you are not in this thing by yourself. That's what officers must do. Break the cycle of fear. If a soldier is concentrating on his own feelings and on his own fear and he sees you moving around, he realizes that you're sharing the burden with him. That's why he can then move so that's very important and that's you know again that can apply to combat that can apply to business people are gonna start panicking what are they gonna do when they start panicking you and the leader as the leader need to step up get out there talk to people find out what's going on tell them that we're gonna move show them that you're not afraid and that you are afraid but you're still functioning lead by example plain and simple back to the book courage will be spent if you relax your standards. An undisciplined soldier feels isolated and alone. Maintain the standards. Don't compromise your integrity. Never get up, give up. Don't ever give up. I love this right here. There is always one more thing that a leader can do to improve his situation and that of his command. 
I always felt that a leader's physical presence was indispensable to unit cohesion and morale. This is why I, Captain Sobel failed so miserably. Leadership by example always trumps leadership by fear. There's always one more thing that a leader can do to improve his situation and that of his commanders. Always one more thing you can do. Mm. And an undisciplined soldier feels isolated and alone. They know they've given up that self-respect. How are you going to give it back to them? Mm. When your men are dying and you do not, you feel ashamed. I don't know any other way of saying it. Soldiers in war, certainly in World War II, and I suspect in every war, are generally young men in their prime. They meet death daily and in every form. They fully realize the hazards of their profession. They take chances because no young man expects to die before middle age. When the first soldier dies, that belief in immortality is shattered. As casualties mount and the core of the unit grows fewer, the remaining soldiers grow even stronger, often shutting off replacement soldiers. They don't want to know the replacements because they are often the first to die. When I saw one of my men wounded, I was happy that he had a ticket home. A soldier killed in battle was at peace. He had lived his life among men whom he had loved. I took a degree of consolation in knowing that my men had lived rather than regretting that they had died. A soldier's real fear is not losing his life in combat, but placing his comrades in jeopardy. That's why ordinary men were performing in extraordinary ways to ensure that their buddies survive. So this is another level of, you know, war. When you're actually, and I never was at this point by any stretch, where you're looking at men that get wounded and saying, oh, lucky him, he's got to take it home. Mm-hmm. We just weren't under that, neath that kind of casualty level mm-hmm. at all. So when guys were getting wounded, it was, you know, it was hard. It was, you didn't feel like, oh, that lucky him, he's got to take it home. Because there wasn't enough guys getting wounded to make you think that way. Mm. And not enough guys getting killed to make you think that way. Mm. Small percentage. That's reaching a whole new level. Back to the book. If you have selected the right personnel, then a leader must instill discipline. I mean perfect discipline. As Patton once said, discipline is the soul of the army. General Washington said the same thing when he described the Continental Army in 1776. Discipline is manifested in how well a soldier keeps his uniform, how frequently he cleans his weapon, and the pride he has in his unit. Joe Hogan of Easy Company speaks for all of us on the subject of pride in Company E. During an argument with a soldier from another company about whose company was better, Joe said, my company E will lick your company in 15 minutes. And if you wait until the guys who are AWOL come back, we'll do it in five minutes. 
and this is important unit pride leads to unit discipline so again now we're going back to the feelings that I had when I was a young kid in the SEAL teams total pride in my platoon and this is funny because you're saying like look the guys that are gone right now they're AWOL they're absent without leave <laughs> if they if you wait for them to come back we'll be getting this done in five minutes but you know I, I feel like this this unit pride and unit discipline and how they go together it's like a gang I, I don't know why I think of it this way and I talked about this at the muster it's like a gang mentality when you start policing yourself up right yeah. when we when I was in a SEAL platoon we it wasn't our bosses that were were trying to keep us in line we kept ourselves in line. Yeah. You didn't want to get outside. You didn't want to do something wrong because we you're going to get policed up by the boys. The E5 mafia is is what we were. <laughs> so the E5 mafia, that's a real thing by the way. Sure. The E5 mafia in a SEAL platoon, you got the senior guys who's like the the platoon, the platoon chief, the the leading petty officer. Those are those are like E6, E7, and you got the assistant platoon commander. Those those are like the, they call them the top four. Those are the guys that kind of run. They're the actual leadership. Mm-hmm. And then you got the nugs, and then in the middle of the pack right there, you got the E5s. They're the guys that are actually running things and making things happen. And, and mm-hmm. the E5 mafia is what we call them. Mm-hmm. And then at a SEAL team, there's an E5 mafia that all works together to mm-hmm. make things happen. But with the E5 mafia, if you've got a good unit. That E5 Mafia, they're policing up everything. And you don't need to, as a leader, you just need to make sure that they don't take it too far is the only <laughs> yeah. thing you need to make sure of. Yeah. But they're going to they're gonna make sure guys are doing the right thing. They're going to make sure that they're performing well. They're going to make sure that they're in good shape. They're going to make sure of all those things. Mm. And this was an interesting quote. What you tolerate, you condone. So again, extreme ownership written by myself and Leif Babin. Well, Leif Babin wrote a line in there that says, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't read this book, and here it is. What you tolerate, you condone. It's saying the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. If you let standards start to slide, that's what you're done. That's the new standard. Of course, there's a little bit more to leadership than what we've talked about so far. Back to the book, Leading in Battle is the art of dealing with human nature and the human condition. I can't speak of higher command, but I know a few things about leadership at the small unit level. Leadership at all levels wins wars, but soldiers at the platoon, company, and battalion levels win battles. I think this is particularly true in the National Army where soldiers need to understand the reasons behind the officer's orders. We have to know why we're doing what we're doing. Would I have succeeded had I been promoted beyond battalion? I don't know. I do know that I felt comfortable at the small unit level. This is one reason why Easy Company holds such a tender place in my heart. I knew the strengths and weaknesses of every paratrooper. I could rapidly ascertain what I wanted to do and felt confident that I could convince the men to do it. After commanding Easy Company in Normandy and Holland, I know that the men felt comfortable entrusting their lives to my care. I'm not bragging because it's not my nature to do so. I'm stating fact. Knowing that I would never ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself led to Easy Company's confidence in me as a leader. They knew that I would never quit and that I would do everything within my power to bring them home after the war. 
I'm proud when I hear a paratrooper from Easy Company or 2nd Battalion remark about my courage under fire and my willingness to share their hardships. I told you once that wars do not make great men, but war sometimes bring out the greatness in good men. Human nature. That's what it is. And, you know, that's sort of how I describe this podcast now an exploration of human nature. And if you want to see human nature reveal itself in its most clearest form, you have to go to war to look at that. Or other very strenuous situations, harsh situations. Upon returning from the war, Here's what Major Winters had to say back to the book. The war changed me. I returned to the States bitter, a different man than the young man who had enlisted in the Army in 1941. I was hardened when I returned. First impressions were more important than they had previously been. I looked at things differently. When you return from a wartime environment, you have to adjust to society, the life that you are going to be sharing with others just to make a living. Though I was comfortable in a combat environment, I wondered if I would feel at home among civilized people who wouldn't be able to understand how a soldier thinks and feels. I came to understand that I would have to make changes to be accepted into life at home. This takes time and it's never easy. While on the front lines in prolonged combat, I often wondered about my friends back in the States, old friends I had grown up with, some of whom had avoided coming over, either by becoming conscientious objectors or working in war-related factories that the federal government had declared essential. I understand everyone doesn't have to share my belief that military service is the only form of service in wartime, but I took immense pride in my contribution to the war effort. We who fought the war were part of something noble. Military service is an honor, a privilege. Funny thing is that when I finally returned home, I had no desire to pick up with those friends who managed to skip the whole thing. I completely shut them out. I wouldn't come downstairs when they knocked on the door. Even today, when I look at a man or woman, I can't help but judge them. Does he have leadership capabilities? Would she be good in combat? Does he or she have what it takes? And I think, you know, clearly, when you come home, those are things I think everybody goes through. Of you're looking at people, you're kind of judging people. It certainly will leave a mark. I... I'll tell you, I don't think there's enough veterans now. You know, you're not going to be able to just hang around with veterans. It's not going to happen. You got to you got to understand and accept the fact that not everyone served the way you served. That's just the way it is. And I don't I try to make sure that I you know, don't outwardly hold people to a higher expectation. And the other thing is I think you have to walk a fine line and you got to make sure you're not looking down on people because they didn't choose the path that you chose. Now, World War II is different because, or at least appears to be different 
because it was so easy so many people went on the path of okay you know December 7th happened I'm going to sign up tomorrow today whatever and I think that the way these wars that we've been fighting have gone down it hasn't been the same it's been different and I think we veterans right now have to use some caution before just shutting out everyone else that that didn't serve the way we did we'd be shutting out basically you'd probably be shutting out most of the people in your lives most most of my friends outside the seal teams they're you know jujitsu got a bunch of friends from jujitsu none of them served i can't just shut them all out so i think we have to be careful about that as as veterans to make sure we you're going to have those feelings understood understand that there's more than that and you got to you got to accept other things going on in the world besides what we did another letter that dick winters wrote to dieta allman going back to the book when you're an officer you are responsible for the lives of soldiers in your command you think about kids like this one paratrooper i knew well and you soon become old beyond your years in the three years since I had entered the army, I had aged a great deal. It seems as if college days and days of civilian life when I did as I pleased are long past. I must have been a, it must have been a dream, a small and short but beautiful part of my life. Now all I do is work. Work to improve myself as an officer, work to improve them as fighters, as men, make them work to improve themselves. The result is I am old before my time, not physically old, but hardened to the point where I can make the rest of them look like undeveloped high school boys, old to the extent where I can keep going after my men fall over and sleep from exhaustion. I can keep going as a mother who works after her sick child and exhausted child has fallen asleep. Old to the extent where if it's a decision or advice needed, my decisions are taken as if the wisdom behind them was infallible. Yes, I feel old and tired from training these men to the point where they are efficient fighters. I hope it means that some will return to those girls back home. And again, the reason I put that in there is because there's, that's a, that's pressure right that's the certain amount of pressure that a person that's been in the military has felt and it's real that pressure and his wife said dick fights the battle of the bulge virtually every night he had recurring nightmares so even dick winners you know a very thoughtful and squared away guy was still living those nightmares virtually every night his wife said dick also said back to the book i know i did everything within my power to ensure as many soldiers made it home from the war as possible but when you survive and your soldiers don't you feel guilty 
it haunts me to this day that I lived and so many of my paratroopers died as the veterans of easy company pass on I am reminded of those who never returned from the war I see their faces I can almost hear them calling me and again I think that every buddy that served and survived when your friends and your brothers didn't you're always gonna have that and it's not gonna go away And Dick Winters, Major Dick Winters died January 2nd, 2011. Obviously, they had a memorial service, a big memorial service for him. Back to the book. Those who remained alive voiced their sympathy, said former platoon sergeant William Grenier, who had lost a leg outside Bastogne. Dick always said, hang tough and follow me. When he said, let's go, he was right in the front. He was never in the back, a leader personified. He was the best commander we ever had. We'd have followed him anywhere. Edward Babe Heffern, who served alongside winners at Bastogne and who helped liberate Hitler's eagle's nest, added, he was one hell of a guy, one of the greatest soldiers I ever was under. He was a wonderful officer, a wonderful leader. He had what you needed, guts and brains. He took care of his men. That's very important. Popeye Wynn added, it seemed as if he always made the right decision. He was a real soldier. He was one of the best. It started with him doing the right thing. I don't know how he survived the war, but he did. Another Easy Company veteran concurred, noting every one of us, we'd follow him to hell. That's the type of guy he was. And also speaking, at that ceremony was a guy by the name of Eric Gendrinson who was the screenwriter, one of the screenwriters for Band of Brothers. And he was trying to get the screenplay and the series to be as accurate as possible. And so he spent a lot of time with Dick Winters and he got to know him very well. And I found what he said about Dick Winters to be very important. Here we go back to the book. Dick Winters made it his personal quest to excel whether it was executing the perfect push-up or training himself to run three miles up and down Curry Mountain, this pursuit was his private tool, his solution. And it was that solo effort, that obsessive clarity and pure, determined, self-contained purpose 
that his men observed and that caused them to follow when he said simply follow me not just through that hedgerow in Normandy and across that field in Holland under enemy fire but follow my example follow my commitment and we'll get through this then we will succeed Dick Winters was laid to rest in his family plot in the Evangelical Lutheran Cemetery in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, the Saturday following his death. And his gravestone reads simply Richard D. Winters, World War II, 101st Airborne. 1918 to 2011. And Dick Winters, before he died, said, I am the man I am today because of Easy Company. Easy Company made me. As I reflect upon my life since the war, I can honestly say that it has been a lifetime search for men like those I knew in Easy Company. I haven't found too many. I don't think I know braver soldiers than Joe Toy, Bill Guarnier, or Floyd Talbert. I live with these guys every day. I mourn when they pass. Carwood Lipton died in December 2001. His death struck me particularly hard. So did Bull Randleman's. Lipton didn't live to see the acclaim Easy Company received when the miniseries was released. I try not to think of the bad times anymore. I think mostly of the good times. The emotion will always be there. You know, Dick Winter said that war brings out greatness in men. And he also realized that war makes you appreciate your country. And Major Winters, before he died, said, Well, it probably sounds strange to you. But when I brought Easy Company to Utah Beach so we could board the LST to return to England on July 11th, 1944, I saw that beach for the first time with that vast armada of ships as far as the eye could see in every direction. Seeing the American flag fluttering over that beach, I felt weak in the knees and tears filled my eyes. Suddenly, that flag meant something different than it ever had before. I have never looked at our flag since without that memory in mind. 
Now I'm an old man, but that feeling has never left me. And finally, and I always say that war is awful, and war is a nightmare. But war does certainly make you appreciate life. And Dick Winters certainly appreciated the rest of his life. Then he said this, I sit here in this house and I gaze out the window. I see flowers and the birds. I behold the wonder of nature. Everything seems so beautiful. And that wraps up that book. Everything seems so beautiful and you know over the past couple of weeks I've been traveling a bunch and meeting a lot of different people business people workers police and firefighters and active duty military and veterans just people and we people we get caught up in all kinds of chaos and mayhem. Mayhem from the past. We get caught up in that about what we should have done. Or what we should have left undone. And we feel this pressure about the future, about what we should do or what we shouldn't do or where we're going and how we should get there. And I get that. I get that. I understand it. I feel it too. Life is hard. Life is hard. And if you aren't careful, it will grind you down. And you know, I talk about detachment a lot from a leadership perspective. And we talked about it today. And it's certainly important But it's also a tool for your mind and for your sanity. Step back. Step back and look around. Not just to see what your next move is and where to head next and what to focus on, but step back to look around and and see life. 
this life your life not surrounded by the pressure and the war and the failures and the violence and the nightmares and the mistakes and the grind not that life but life as it is as it is without our intervention A blessing a journey a short little bit of time on an incredibly fast-moving sphere of amazement where if you can detach and step back and look for a moment you'll see That like Dick Winter said, everything seems so beautiful. And I think that's all I've got for tonight. So Echo Charles. Yeah. Some lessons learned. Yeah. Very impactful for me and a big reminder for me. We we worked heavily with the first of the 506 Band of Brothers in the Battle of Ramadi. We had uh, the Delta Platoon commander and a group of his guys spent the whole time over there. And what an incredible bunch of soldiers they were. Just mm-hmm. incredible the the impact that they had on the battlefield the leadership I saw at every level level and whenever I think of the band of brothers my, my first thoughts when I think of the band of brothers isn't about dick winters it isn't about the series it isn't about the books my first thought of the band of brothers is the first of the 506 battalion that we were honored to work with in the battle Ramadi and one of my platoons worked intently with the entire time and so for their service and sacrifice we I am eternally thankful for what they did and what they taught us and for us being alongside them was a real humbling real humbling yeah <clears throat> you mentioned how how like in all these books and all these lessons that discipline is like so important and there was a time you mentioned like imagine or imagine how important it is or how beneficial whatever it could be just in everyday life remember that yes so that, yeah that's that's crazy and the more books like this that we go over whatever that message like becomes more and more clear because you know how like you get um, like creative guys, you know, but they don't have discipline mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or you get super disciplined guys, but they don't have creativity or, you know, yeah. kind of. But every once in a while you'll get, you'll find a person or you'll notice a person who does bring them together, you know. And you see the results. Like you see what kind of productivity or you just, you just see the results in one way right. or another, you know. Like these get like fighters or, you know, I don't know, author, like anyone, yeah, anyone. Absolutely. So, man, it's crazy how. Because, you know, if you're, like, naturally gifted or whatever, that's something you, in a way. Not like, really. 
Like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. Yeah, but I mean, it, let's say you notice someone and you see it in, in all these different fields as well. Where, where Oh, someone that's got a lot of natural talent. Yeah. But then, they don't. They don't have to because essentially through upbringing or whatever, the just their environment, they don't need it really. You know, they oh, don't need it. Like just get away with it because exactly just right. on their talent, they get away with it. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we hear that a lot. This idea that you know, talent, it, it doesn't mean anything if you don't have the discipline to make things happen. And yeah. and a well, person that's highly disciplined will outperform someone that might be more talented. Yeah, all day eventually. long. Yeah, all day long. Yeah, and I shouldn't I say it was all day long too strong. I, yeah, in the beginning. In the beginning, I yeah, think yeah, sure. exactly. Uh, yeah, I feel like eventually, um, the discipline is the thing that's just going to carry you through. So, and I thought I just thought that was super important. Where you were like, imagine if this, if you apply this to everyday life, because everyday life, essentially for us anyway, it's like a straight up luxury. Yeah, you know? it is. And and here's what's important about what you're saying is is this fact that the reason that these guys. Had to have discipline was because if they didn't have discipline, they would die. Yeah. If they didn't have discipline, they would be overrun. If they didn't have discipline, they would they would starve. They would just die. They would die. Yeah. So they have to have discipline. Yeah. And your point is, in this world, in this life, in 2017, living in the first world, you don't have to have discipline at all. Yeah. And you'll still survive. Yeah. And you might even do okay. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, just imagine. Yeah. Just imagine if you apply the discipline to your life. Where you'll end up, yeah, and how much better off you'll be, yeah. and how much more you can do with your life the yeah. one life you have, by the way, yeah, how much more way. you can do with that life if you just have the discipline and work hard and get after it, yeah. And you see it in little pockets too. Like, remember when you're a kid and you're like, I'm gonna save all, save my money for this, I don't know, comic book, I don't know, I'm gonna save my money. You don't even have an income, by the way, but somehow. You save all your money, like that little quarter that you find. That's like, oh, you know, you, I'm gonna save that. I'm gonna save that because you have this kind of. And in a way, like the discipline kind of forms itself around that goal. So you know what it is. Like you know what that yeah. means. You know. So it's real. Like that's a real thing. You shouldn't. You shouldn't regard it as some ambiguous thing that other yeah, people no, it's do. Not, it's like not, we it's all not can do it. It's not some fancy crazy thing at all. Yeah. It's real straightforward. Yeah, I think I think that was one of the first podcasts we did where I said something along the lines of like, you know what you need to do. Yeah, yep. like we all just know what do we it. should be doing. I think that was the first. There's one. not too many people that are lost that are going, oh, I'm just not sure how to do this. No, they know exactly what to do. We know exactly what to do. I know exactly what I should be doing. I'll tell you what it is: distractions. There's too many distractions, and distractions are literally everything. There's industries of just distractions. That's the whole industry, like TV. TV it's a big industry of distraction, huge, and <laughs> in the defense of TV, TV can be an edge. Yeah, you can, you because there's educational stuff on okay. TV. Um, Defended. But I'm just saying, I like, concede your point. The entertainment industry, and I'm not saying these industries of distractions are bad things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying distractions are what get in the way of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like your your goal. Yeah, and. Well, we're talking about the very fact of some of your discipline can be used to create things that are actually distracting. I mean, if you if your goal is to create some artistic piece, whether it's a movie, whether it's music, whether it's whatever, yeah. that that's a distracting thing. But that's not that doesn't mean that it's negative that you want to make that happen because yeah. there's people that'll find something. I mean, the reason you want to create something is 
I guess you create it for yourself, but then the reward is when other people say, yes, yeah. I get something out peers, of that too. Yeah. Recognition from your peers. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and when I say distractions, I in regards to goal, it's a relative thing, meaning like you're distracted from your path of the goal. I agree with you, yeah, but there's also just, just mentally, just, just weakness. Just the, the easy right. path, I should say. Right. The discipline path is hard. The, yeah. the the easy path that anyone wants to jump on when your alarm clock goes off, blah, 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 right? I've talked about yep. these things a million times. That's what the problem is. The problem isn't even a distraction. The problem is just the lack of will to do what you need to do. Right. Distraction so, can add to that. That's a, that's a part of it. What we do is we take, we take our... The, the path of least is resistance, and then we throw distraction on top of that. For yep. instance, when you open up your computer because you got to write a book, and instead of opening the word processor, you go, I'm just going to check the interwebs real quick. Distracted. Yeah, you're distracted. There goes 45 minutes. You ever <laughs> noticed? <laughs> seriously, the, the, internet is, the, the internet is a mind, a time warp. Oh, yeah. Your time just disappears no. in the internet. There's a lot of distractions on there. Yeah. For sure. And, and really... What I mean by distraction is you have this long-term goal, right? Your goal is your payoff, your long-term payoff. So, so the distractions really are these little short-term payoffs that drag you, that distract you. So that's oh, what that's you. what the distraction is. I like so, how you broke that out for me. Right, right. Distract. But, <laughs> right, exactly. Get you off the track. Exactly right. So the weakness will let those distractions kind of take hold yeah. for sure. But so, yeah, they, they work hand in hand for sure. So, so. If you can, because again, that saving money for comic books thing. So consider that as the goal. So the distractions are going to be the candy that you want to buy or the, you know, I don't know, you play dice with your friend. I don't know. Whatever the distractions is in regards to that specific path. I like, I like Echo's world right now. Like <laughs> playing dice with your friends, saving for comic books. It's like 1956. Uh, just, <laughs> I like it. You know, back, but either way, like the, the distractions, they're, they're irrelevant. So when I say, okay, the distractions are there. When I say there's industries of distractions, again, I'm not saying those are bad things. They are bad things if they're distracting you from your goal. So you yeah, can have that's all true, kinds of goals. Yeah, that's true, think about it, sometimes you just need to let your mind take a rest. Yeah, fully. And you need one of the, oh, oh, oh yeah. I got, I got something to say. football game. Yeah. I just flew home from, like I've been on the road all over the world, did the muster, did a bunch of speeches, did some consulting, yeah. was all over the place, on the plane the whole time, and I flew home from the East Coast, when was that, a couple days ago, and when I flew, I haven't done this in forever, I flew home, I watched a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a total distraction, because I said, you know what, I can't, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in the game right now, like I need, my brain just needs to shut off yeah. and do something, which I don't like to do, which is, you can either do two things. I, I look at it, you can either consume mm -hmm. or you can produce, produce right? Yeah. I wanna be producing. I wanna be putting together, I wanna be writing, I wanna be thinking, I wanna be writing, reading for the podcast, prepping, that's what I wanna be doing. Yeah. I wanna be producing something. Consuming is I'm just absorbing what someone else made, yeah. right? I'm just gonna absorb this, absorb this, absorb this. A lot of times it is garbage. So, uh, but I flew home, had a long flight, and I was like, you know what, I need to check out. Right. I need to check out right now and just do nothing. Yeah. So I watched two movies. Dig it. Two you, movies. What'd you watch? We gotta you know watch? what you're gonna ask. <laughs> the two movies I watched. The first one was not Heartbreak Ridge. It's the new movie that just came out about DOS that Mel Gibson directed. What's it called? I don't know. It was a big successful movie. Conscientious objector, World War II, he wins the Medal of Honor, or he's awarded the Medal of Honor. Mm. So that was a good movie. You know, it's a World War II movie. I liked it. 
it's not in my opinion five star but it was good it was entertaining sure it told the story and then after that I watched Zoolander <laughs> <laughs> that was when I was going into full decompression bro, bro, mode. good on you bro. I watched Zoolander yeah because it's a hilarious movie I have a buddy in the teams that we nicknamed Mugatu Sure. Yeah, because you know he would go crazy, so we had to call him Mugatu. <laughs> yeah, and Not yeah, sure. that was just a funny movie. I just decompressed, yeah, and man. I don't do that very often. Hey, you know, dig it. the grind is always happening. But so, I just had to take a little detachment. What was the name of that movie? With there's not uh, famous actors. I guess there's one. Who's the really funny guy? Anyways, it was a good movie. Yeah. So techno. What? The, so the question is, is that really a distraction? So. You know, like a, a football game or a movie or something that that you're not doing to put you, you know, more forward on your path or whatever. But if you're taking you're if you're taking a break, is that a distraction? Like if I'm lifting, I do a workout and then I go recover from that workout yeah, yeah. by resting. No, is that a distraction? No, it wasn't a distraction. Right. I should have grinded though. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I, mean, uh-huh. I, I was yeah, done. Yeah, in your mind, I was done. So I t- tapped out. So a distraction is more of an idea, more of the concept, you know. So no, like there's if, definitely things that are distracting. Just like how you said when you open your computer yeah. and the whole internet is there to distract oh, you in one way yeah. or another. Yeah. Um, th- that's a distraction, you know, where you can, eat, like, even if I have a book, if my goal is to um, finish some video, but meanwhile I have this book that's real informative and, it, you know, something, and I'm like, you know, oh, that book seems real. I'm real in the mood to read that book. That's a distraction, even though it's a good thing, you know. So the distraction True. is like the idea. So the you know, what are the common goals? I want to get in shape. I want to, um, you know, be a better husband or wife, or I want to do better at work. I want to learn more. I want to read all this stuff. Get better at jujitsu. Get better at jujitsu, all this stuff. You can get distracted by these other things. You know, before I, I don't know, read, I'm going to surf Instagram or something like that. That's a distraction, you know? And now, which was my original point is the reason, or one of the reasons that we don't apply this extreme discipline as it's outlined in these books here is be is one of the reasons is because we have literally infinite amount of distractions right now. Well, there's also no consequence or I shouldn't say that the consequence isn't visible. Yeah. The consequence you don't say, you don't say, Hey, if I would have had discipline, I would reach this ultimate potential. You just okay with not reaching that ultimate potential and you're yeah. okay with just like right. turning putting microwavable popcorn in <laughs> and watching a movie. Yeah. You've been doing it the whole time. Yeah, I'm still why here. Not? Hey, I'm you know? still here. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And, and you know what? That was a good movie and the popcorn tasted good. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. That's the wrong answer. Yeah. You don't recognize what your potential is and so you're just okay with this kind of half potential. Yeah. You don't reach your potential. And since you don't know it, and the other thing, it's hard to see. It's hard to see how that long term affects you. Yeah. You're not like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just one bag of popcorn and it's just one movie. Yeah. But you did that three times this week. Yeah. You know, that's that's not and getting you 30 times, goals. you know, in the, in the past 10 weeks. Yeah. You could write 30,000 words. No, more than that. Yeah. You're going to write about 1,000 words an hour. Well, a good way to look at it, and I think I might have said this before, where it's not like a moment to moment looking to the future kind of thing. You should look at it. But um, in the way of in the sense of looking at it in the past. So let's say you, you consider the last one year or two years. Right. And let's say I wanted to play better guitar. Something good goal. Yeah, I have that goal. I always fail at it. There you go. So you look at it in this way where you don't say, OK, if I spend an hour a day, um, you know, practicing guitar in, you know, in a year, I'll be better. You don't necessarily look like that. You can. But a good way 
to look at it or helpful way is if you look at it last year where dang if i if i would have played an hour a day right now i would right now as i'm sitting here with you right now i'd be that'd be dope at guitar you know <laughs> kind of like that so you kind of get the well in my experience i've kind of got this feeling of like wasted time you know yeah. you know that feeling where it's like dang i gotta i gotta play catch up now that's a little bit more compelling i think sometimes it can be yeah so if you think about it that it. way too i think that helps Maybe, maybe not. Speaking, speaking of, of help. Speaking of help and potential. Oh. Both. Nicely done. Double gravitational. You need help by way of supplementation if you're working out. So, man, how you said, you can't not work out, I think. Especially nowadays. Like you could, Because your life, probability-wise, is, is, is cruising. You're cruising physically. Where, you know, you go to the office. Because really, that's oh, what, yeah. Life how, is physically easy right now easier, for and most and, people. And gets easier and easier. Even if it's not easy right now, next year, generally speaking, it's going to be easier. You know? Like even, like, so I'm brushing my teeth like I do every week or whatever. And Once a week, whether you need it or not. <laughs> yeah. And so I have the regular toothbrush, you know? I'm sure there's all kinds of little micro technologies in the toothbrush. But I started to think, man, this... There has, you know, this is an old school thing. There's automatic toothbrushes. Actually, my brother told me about this toothbrush, dude, this automatic, you know, electric toothbrush that was like super dope and highly recommended it. It was like $89, <laughs> all this stuff. And I'm thinking, dang, something as basic as brushing your teeth is way easier now. Way easier. You got a machine to do it. That's, that's really the whole narrative with everything. Point being, physically, you got to push yourself because you're not going to have to push it. You got to recreate it. No one's going to push you. Yeah, yeah. It, your environment is is starting to work more and more against you in regards to physical activity. So my point being, you got to work out. Yeah, I was going to say that's a real straightforward thing. Work out. Yeah, but I feel like it's, I mean, it's easy for you, you know, to, to be like, yeah, it seems obvious, you know. They call that the curse of knowledge. You know how when you're... You're like so advanced in this one thing that you forget how it is to not be advanced. Yeah, that's true. I, I have forgotten what it's like to not be advanced in in terms of trying to explain to people why they. I think it's pretty self evident to anybody why you'd work out. No, you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. Think about this, and I think about and I thought about this one. Like, okay, you know when you go into a jujitsu gym, okay, you're different, so you may you could very well not even understand this. This might not compute with you, but if you walk into a jiu-jitsu gym, and this applies to even a regular 24-hour fitness gym, if you've never been in there before, you yeah. never worked out, that's a really intimidating thing. You come in, everyone's looking at me. I don't know how to use the machines. I don't know how to work out. Like Everyone's looking at me, judging me. I'm dumb. It is not my element, all this stuff. It's intimidating, you know? Okay. But it's real. It's what I'm saying. You know how you say, like, you probably don't know about that because you don't, you have the curse of knowledge in regards to, like, physical activity, working out, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And then the pain that comes with it, I, man, I dig it. I understand. But that's even more of a reason to work out. Physical condition. Anyway, you'd be glad you did. If you don't work out, just jump in there. Jump in. Go to the gym. Last year, if you would have started working out, you know how dope you'd be right now? Way doper than you are if in the event you didn't start last last year. See what I'm saying? Anyway, <laughs> while you work out, your joints might be kind of sore. I know this from experience. Take krill oil. My father-in-law turned me on to it. Actually, technically, didn't successfully turn me on to he it, attempted. but he totally he tried. 
he tried and you know I didn't see the light until Jocko turned me onto it so now I'm turning everyone else onto it hopefully successfully uh, krill oil is I'm not going to go into a whole deep thing here but it's for your joint so if you get joint pain just with degeneration over time you get older you dig it krill oil will bring you back they'll function it's kind of like your joint joints are like always warm now not like to the touch warm but like warm <laughs> like ready for action you see what I'm saying Anyway, krill oil. I didn't even say by who, huh? Yeah. If you don't know, on it. That's the whole company, and they have they don't have just krill oil. They have other stuff too. They also have shroom stuff. tech. Yeah, performance which stuff. I, which shroom I recommend. Tech. I recommend shroom tech, by the way. Big time, especially if you're if you're going for performance. Yeah, if you're gonna go train jujitsu with Andy Taylor, Dean, Craig Baker, yeah, Greg Train, Echo Charles, just. Take, take the shroom and tech you know what? sport. Yeah, shroom tech sport. Take three of them. Oh, is that the formula? No, that's the recommended. I didn't know that. And yep. then I read it. Yep. I, like one day I just read the instructions for no reason. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if I take 12 of these things if I'll be even more tech. <laughs> I wonder. But I did say three because yeah. I had been taking two. Oh, uh, for real? So I took three. It felt a little bit more. Legit. Yeah, I always take three and never let down. And again, that's for the performance. So if I'm just cruising, if I'm just taking a walk around the block or, or two, I take the shroom tech. I'm not going to feel it as much as if I jump in jujitsu rounds, you know? Yeah, no. So you I'm need. To, I, I take it when I have to perform a situation. Yeah, big time. Me too. You take shroom tech immune, not to be confused with. And I've taken shroom tech immune when I go massive travel. Yeah. You're getting all these planes with oh, all these yeah. people, everyone's sick, coughing, sneezing. Yeah. It's all nasty. On and you, you know what I do? Just go ahead and take some shroom tech immune. Just it's, it's something different because it's yellowish. <laughs> the, la- the, the label's the, green too. So the, yeah. um, the, the, whatever you're eating is more yellow. <laughs> yeah, I think the ingredients. We'll just say the ingredients are yellow. I take vitamin C, Obviously. actually, when I'm a big travel. Vitamin C, Shroom Tech Immune. I hear zinc is a good one, too. That's what I hear. I've taken zinc before to try and overcome a cold, but I wasn't very uh, you know, convinced. Yeah. Yeah. I can power. I will power some vitamin C, though, if I feel like some kind of a disease coming on. Yeah. Just power the vitamin C. See, and that's kind of the good thing where you take this um, Shroom Tech Immune. Yeah. It, you, like, you know. You know that they were like, okay, does vitamin C help? Okay, check. It does zinc, and I don't know. I didn't read the ingredients me, like me you either. did and thought we're about to or whatever, but. I read the effects. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Raise my immune system. Going to need that plane, bunch of dirty people. Not all of you, <laughs> but many of you. Many. Sneezing. Sure. Sneezing on everyone. Coughing on everyone. Yeah. And, and by the way, because I'm going to go talk to people, yeah. I can't be going, no, I, yep. how are you doing? I'm taco. Or, yeah, I can't do that. No. I have to actually be yeah. able to talk. Yeah, coughing, saying excuse yeah, me the whole time. Yeah, I can't be. <laughs> it's no awful if you if you sneeze or cough when you're on a mic in front of a big group of people. Yeah. Not cool. Or if you keep doing it. Yeah. yeah kind of yeah, Shroom tech. No good. Immune. Shroom tech. On yeah, it. You, com. you know the good stuff. In there. Okay. Yes. On it.com. You want 10% off all this stuff. On it.com slash Jocko. And here's the thing. We just talked about right now. We talked about krill oil, shroom tech sport, shroom tech immune. Alpha That's, brain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Alpha brain. Bro, we could go all, all night with this. 
<laughs> because of all the good stuff is what Alpha I'm saying. Today? I did. You watched me actually while yeah, you were yeah, reading. Yeah, yeah, I did. I had Alpha Brain today, and I was thinking you took it, but then when you wanted that long story about something, and I was sort of wondering maybe he didn't take his Alpha Brain today. No. Then, then when I wrapped <laughs> it up, you were like, dang, he was oh, on that Alpha Brain the whole time. Oh, he was yeah. on that Alpha Brain. I didn't see it. Alpha that, Brain. That statement made me think you were on Alpha Brain today. <laughs> Just because you were yeah, able you to complete your whole deal right there, I'm going to give it, it to you. Yeah, Alpha Brain. <laughs> Listen yeah. to Echo's story, and then when it comes to the closure, you go, dang, I'm going to get some of that. <laughs> right. See, hey, could take lead. Take my lead example. You understand what I'm saying? The so Alpha Brain. If you don't know, because we haven't talked about it as much as yeah, I feel like as far as its role in our lives, my life. Anyway, I'm speaking for myself. Where you take it, neutro. It's called nootropic. It's basically brain food, brain food supplements. You know, like to to make your brain. You know what I'm gonna I'm gonna better. get uh, too because I've been taking mostly on it. Uh, mostly alpha brain in the pa- in the powder because yeah. it tastes good. Yeah, the peach and the spice. spice I've been taking it in that more than I. I'm gonna. Get, and I actually ran out of the uh, pills. Yeah, the, the capsules. Wait, so you let you'd prefer the capsules? You're saying? Well, sometimes capsules a little bit more convenient, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like, like it. If I'm, like the if I'm doing an event or I'm gonna go on a podcast, yeah. and I didn't, I want to just be able to bam, Makes get sense some too. alpha brainy in the in the brainy. <laughs> See, bro, you're always in a hurry doing a bunch of stuff, bro. Mix it up a little. Well, you know, like when you brew tea, it's like, I don't know. It's all experience. Anyway, either way, they're both the same deal and they're called nootropics. Proven, by the way. I'm not just saying, oh, it feels good for me, so you should take it. I'm not just saying that. Now, when you, you, you say that. Yeah, but to me that means more to me than I don't know why. But like when you say, "Oh, it's been double, triple, blind, placebo, blah blah blah, controlled." Yeah, I would rather have like someone that I know say, "Bro, I'm telling you, take this stuff." Like yeah. I did with Curl Oil to you. Yeah, yeah, right? it, yeah. That was more important than reading a bunch of facts about it. Yeah, yeah. If and you take someone that you know, and they're saying, "Look, man, give it a little crack." Yeah, and trust th- me on this one. And I think most people have that in one way or another. Not with everything, but yeah, like if you recommend a movie or something like that, and, and then meanwhile look at the reviews. The re- reviews are like super good, but then you're like, eh, it, it was junk because of this, because of that. It's like it's an well, authentic I haven't watched a movie thing, in so know? long. Yeah. And I went right to the classic '90s. Com- it said '90s comedy. What kind of mood is Jocko in when I go to '90s comedy? Oh, with Zoolander? Zoolander. Yeah, man, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's just that. ridiculous. But I like Owen. Is it Owen Wilson in that movie? No, the other one. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. That I'm thinking Ben Stiller. I, like, yeah. I like that guy, Owen Wilson. He's yeah. funny. I like him because he comes across as very uh, uh, truthful in the way he says. Yeah, things. like almost naive. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? He's just like seems like a good dude to hang yeah. out with. <laughs> Seems sure. like he'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of got this air about him that's kind of airheady. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Nonetheless, back to the alpha brain. I think that when they prove it, I think certain people, certain types of like mindsets or whatever, kind of more gravitate towards that. Like they're like, okay, that's cool that it worked for you, but that could have been placebo. That could have been this. That could have been your mood that day or whatever. If I'm gonna commit to this, I want some. I want some hard facts. Mm. Some people this out. So boom. You got the hard facts as well as a legitimate recommendation because I was taking this even before, you know, the podcast and stuff. So I was into it. Nonetheless, Alpha Brain, that's a good one. A bunch of other cool stuff. If you're into protein powder, good, clean protein powder on there. All this all workout stuff, too, by the way. I got a bunch of kettlebells. They're uh, primal bells, legend bells, the artistic one. They're dope. Look at my Instagram. There's some on there. Anyway. That is a good way to support yourself. 
help yourself maintain the workouts, physical activity, all that stuff, uh, so you can be successful in that way. I don't think there's any excuse anymore. I, I for real don't. Also, good way to support, really good way to support Amazon click-through. When you go and get the book, Conversations with Major Dick Winters, go to the website. It's listed there with, you know, cover, and click through there. Boom. So basically, it's an Amazon click-through. You buy it through Amazon. Amazon click-through. You, you, before you do your shopping, click through the website. Amazon. Boom. Supports the podcast. Small action, big reaction. Because... The click-through only takes what? Three seconds, I think we've determined. Maximum, really. So, you know, give them some leeway. So we'll say three seconds, and then the reaction is massive support for this podcast. That's a good way. Amazon click-through through through the website, jockopodcast.com, or I think it's on jockostore.com as well, but just go to jockopodcast.com. Click through before you do your Amazon shopping. Also, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. Stitcher, Google Play, all these other podcasting providing platforms. Also on YouTube. If you don't mind the video version of this podcast, go to YouTube, watch it there. It's kind of cool. It adds that other layer of experience. Yeah, everyone seems to do that when there's a guest. Yeah. Because they don't know who that person is. They know what you look like. They know what I look like. Most, most, yeah, most people. Well, if they're listening to the podcast, eventually they know what you look like. They know what I look like. Yeah. And so there's no reason sometimes, although sometimes you can see like when certain subjects come up and there's maybe some intensity in the podcast, more people watch it. But if it's a pretty mellow podcast and we're just talking about whatever we're talking about, maybe not everyone feels the need to go to the YouTube, but when their guest comes on, people want to see what that person looks like. And there's usually some more animated interactions. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, big time. Yeah, man, so if you're into that. You know what? It'd be cool if you made a little clip of when Tim Kennedy was on and I, I read a question from the audience was something along the lines of I said I said, you know, hey, you know, they took away bayonet training from boot camp and Tim Kenny just goes, God damn it. That's <laughs> yeah, one yeah. of my favorite parts of any <laughs> podcast ever. When you in that I want I would really appreciate it if you'd make that clip, even if it was like twelve seconds long. <laughs> just that part. Yeah, there. just twelve seconds yeah. long. It would be worth having on there because everyone should know that that's a travesty that they stopped <laughs> doing bayonet courses in army boot camp. All right, you got it. Some people, if they don't hear this exact part, they'd be kind of confused. But hey, I think they'll appreciate it. Yeah. I think so. Oh, they'll they'll hear it. Yeah, they'll dig it fully. But there's good animation. Yeah, you know he's getting crazy. Yeah, man. Which is fun. And really, in general, just the YouTube, that's an added, like I said, in that added visual layer. You know, if you're down for it. Sometimes people, you know, you put it on your TV, let's say in your garage, you know, you're working out or you're, you know, it's on the TV. It's kind of like you're in the conversation a little bit more. It feels like it. And also, if people subscribe to the YouTube channel, then when they can sign up where if you make an excerpt. Right. Then they can get that because it's cool. And that's a good thing is it's much easier to share an excerpt from the podcast than it is to share an audio. I don't even know how to share an audio piece of a podcast. I don't even know how to do that. It probably can't be done. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. That's why we have the YouTube. So, yeah, go ahead. Subscribe to that one. And speaking of you mentioned the excerpts. Yeah, you put some excerpts. You can't if you don't want to share or you anticipate that this person is not going to listen to two and a half hours of a podcast when you share it. You just get the little lesson, you know, that you want to share. Be like, hey, how to, you know, approach college. 
you know, the or whatever. One. Yeah, that's a popular one. Because um, everybody that went to college already wishes they had that when they went to college. Yeah, so when they, you know, when they encounter know someone who's going to, you know, go to college, their kids or nephew, neighbor, whatever, boom, they have some advice directly from Jocko. Anyway, so, yeah, you can you share that. Subscribe to the YouTube. That's the point there. Subscribe to the YouTube if you want. And if you want to support and, you know, if you want, you can sign up for a little alert when, when I upload something on there. I and get I'll, those alerts. You can get after it. I'm usually it. pretty stoked when I see something coming through. <laughs> it's like a little present. Anyway, yeah, so YouTube, good one. Um, also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. You know, if you want T-shirts and whatnot, discipline equals freedom. The one that simply says get after it on the front. That seemed to have gone over pretty well, I'd say. Well, and also, it seems worth noting that we now offer the Victory MMA shirt. The Jocko uniform. That yeah. I wear yep. all the time. Yep. I wear it when I record the podcast. I wear it all the time. We, you know, obviously, because we have our gym. Yeah. We have a lot of t-shirts that our say gym. our gym's name on it. And mm-hmm. so I wear that t-shirt a lot. Yeah, and I always have. Yeah, and then I, I didn't intentionally do it on the podcast in the beginning. I just happened to be wearing it two or three times. <laughs> yeah, and then someone said, "Is that the only shirt Jocko wears?" Yeah, and at that point I said, "Why, yes, it is." <laughs> no, bro, you're like the guy on the fly. Remember the movie The Fly? Yeah, and the lady's like, oh, "What was her? I forget her name." She's like, "Hey, is that your only set of clothes or something like that?" And she sees in his closet that they're all the same. Oh yeah, that is me. That is yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I like, like to, I like to have the things that are the same. But uh, people would come and and ask me, "Hey, where can I get the T-shirt? Where can I get the T-shirt?" So now we put yeah. it on the Jocko store. Strangely, they didn't even have them at Victory because no, people know. would come in and be this like, "Hey, we want school. to." This yeah, is the thing. This the is original. old school. This is an original. This is the original Victory MMA T-shirt, and we had to reproduce it. Yeah, <laughs> so Which, it's a reissue. Yeah, and all which I'll, is dope in its own respect, right? Yeah, it is. So I'm trying to think. Like, is that you know? It's not because it's the exact same it design. Is. Yeah, it's it the exact design. The, the, it's literally the exact yeah. same like design. The same, file. the same file, right? Yeah. Boom. So now you can get can, that one if you want it. Yeah. You can represent. Represent big time. It's good. It's interesting because yours are like old school, so they kind of have like a fade to them. Yeah. You know the new ones. So you get the sharp. new one. They're like, oh, yeah, they gleaming, look, they look sharp, beaming. I'm gleaming. gonna grab a couple of those too. By the way. All right. Well, just you because I was running low, and I would hate to have other things in in my. Yeah. What's that called when you have clothes? My wardrobe. wardrobe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Good thinking, Jocko. Anyway, JockoStore.com. Check those out. Some other new stuff, stuff, things, items on there. Let me talk about this mug. I'm not gonna take too much time because we've been, you know, we've been going at it. So this this travel mug right here. So you know how, you know how at home, you know, you have your cup. You see yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. Actually, the one I, that I you do. use. And you know what? I have actually, my wife, once she searched forever to get me a cup that I like. Yeah. And she found it. Yeah. And then she went to Target and bought, you know, a dozen of them. They're big, giant, plastic, yeah. but feel like glass, whatever that is, yep. acrylic or something. Yeah, yeah. Can't break, but you yeah. can, but they, they feel good in your hand. So I have a yeah. bunch of those, but apparently it's getting replaced. Yes. Yeah, so it's strangely, I had the same thing. Well, I was on the same search. So I had this one. What, what I arrived at, my favorite cup was pink because they didn't have any other colors. Mm. It was pink, but it was big. It was like maybe like 24 ounce, like big cup. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I used for everything. News, pink, whatever. That that meant nothing you're, to me you're compared to the, with your manhood. Yeah. yeah, man. Compared compared to the functionality, the pink was nothing. Um, it could, but here's the thing: it could barely fit in my cup holder. You know, the kind like you put it in, but it was like kind of stuck. You'd have to oh, fine. But it, that was the cup. That was the best one. You use any other cup, you just I don't know. It's, How you doing now? I'm gonna get to that. <laughs> so, but you know what I mean, though. So you know exactly what I mean. Where you you know you have your cup. Mm-hmm. I don't. Where's my? It could be dirty. There could be cups everywhere, all available. You're like, no, I'm gonna go ahead and wash this, you know, and I'm gonna use my cup. That's it. This one, okay. We'll talk about this. This mug. It's a, technically what a travel tumbler, right? Been heard. Whatever. Yeah. You know, comes with the top, all that stuff. But you take all the top. Boom. That's a cup too. Ergonomically uh, for conducive to just using it as a cup. You know how if you have like threads oh, yeah, in there yeah, to yeah, screw yeah. on There's a no top. Threads. There's but no it somehow threads. Stays. It's like, yeah, it's like a thing. Anyway. And that's not to mention the look, black on black. What do they call it? Murdered out. You ever heard that expression, murdered out? No. Google, if you have time, Google murdered out Cadillac Just or car. Just tell what it is. It's a flat matte okay. painting with black wheels. So it's like basically all black, tinted when it's all black. So that's this thing is murdered out technically. <laughs> um, flat, black, matte with like the logo, the 434, and the discipline equals room is like shiny black. Mm. Black right. on black. Very nice. Ooh, very nice. So, and that's just the design. So, function wise, perfect. Thirty ounces, not twenty four. Thirty straight up. And it, what is it? BPA free. All this, so you don't get poisoned over time. <laughs> Come on, bro. That's a big thing. And also, okay. And here's the impressive part. When I ultimately was like, dang, like impressed. I guess this is like a technology that's kind of been around, but I didn't know because I, I had that plastic cup. You know, whatever. This it'll keep it'll separate the temperatures from inside and outside, so the inside temperature won't leak to the outside. Meaning it keeps like if you have ice and cold stuff in here, bro. <laughs> means it's insulated. It'll it yeah, means, but it's insulated in a special crazy way. <laughs> if you and this is with no top on, by the way, you fill it up with ice. Your ice water, you know, this is what I did one time. I finished like it was maybe three quarters of it, still some water in there, and I just I kind of left it, went to bed. The next day. I looked at it, and the ice was still in there. And, oh, yeah, sure, that doesn't mean that much. But as far as proving how it keeps the temperature, bro, that's a lot, straight up. Also, it doesn't, like, sweat. You know how when you have a cold yeah, drink on a, on, a, on a, yeah, if it's on your desk or something? if you're working, yeah, you might yeah. screw some stuff up. Hot day, whatever, humid, it's like, yeah, it doesn't even do that. It doesn't do that at all. One time, I was outside at the pool, whatever, cruising. <laughs> Ice water. Actually, it was Jocko White tea. Boom. Oh, we'll get to that too. But <laughs> so you know, I leave it there, and it's in the sun, and I, I grab it, and I'm like, oh, my, this this is gonna be totally melted because I'm feeling it, the the cup, physically feeling the outside of the cup, and it's straight up hot. The sun is beaming on it. It's hot. If I look inside, ice still the full on ice, not even melted at all. Well, I'm telling you, when I'm you replace so your happy cup, that you're happy bro, with this I'm, cup. T- I'm telling words. you right now, when you replace this cup, you're going to find all these benefits to it above and beyond just the, the dope look and <laughs> size. And it fits in your cup holder straight up. See how it's like the shape? Yeah. Cool. All right. Next next thing. I feel like we could talk about no, this for a little bit more. I'm just. I know you like it. I'm glad you like it. I, I like it too. All right. Next this time. We'll first time utilizing it, actually. And, and I, I'm impressed. My, tea, my iced tea is still icy. Bro, I've been getting down with this cup mug for a long time, man. Thoroughly impressed. Anyway, so yeah, we got some. We got that on the Jocko Store, JockoStore.com. 
we got it on there. Also, should we talk about the Warrior Kid shirts? You can talk about that. All right, they're on there too. Warrior Kid shirts, youth sizes for your kids. Boom, there it is. Very, very cool. Very Warrior cool. Kids out there. There's some layers in that one too that I just found out, by the way. Your contribution, oh, the yeah, colors yeah. and whatnot. Colors, yeah, things. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Go ahead, check it out. Again, jackalstore.com. There's some rash guards on there. New rash guards out. Maybe they're out. Hoodies. We're kind of getting into like a spring. I mean, maybe summer pretty soon. So hoodies might not be as applicable. Either way, they're on there. We need to start prepping the winter hoodies that I'm going to be more in charge of this time <laughs> so that they're heavier <laughs> and more powerful. Yeah, because you're thinking New England winter. Yeah, I'm thinking I am. Kauai I'm also winter. thinking Chicago and Minnesota and <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not thinking Kauai over here. If I was in Kauai, I wouldn't even wear a shirt, much less a sweatshirt. Bruh, that, that was my whole point. You're like hoodies. I was like, bruh, what is that? Yeah, you didn't know what it was. <laughs> Actually, my wife knows what hoodies are, so I just consulted with her. Nonetheless, jocklestore.com. That's some cool stuff on there. Travel mugs, all shirts, cool shirts. Support that way, and you know, you get a little item. Represent in the wild. Boom. Also, support yourself with this one. Psychological Warfare. If you don't know what that is, which I know you already do, but if you don't, it's an album with tracks, no music. It's Jocko on there. And these tracks are useful. These are utility, what do you call them, functional, tactical tr- tracks to help you stay on the path. You know, we talked about getting distracted. Some people, they'll, they'll d- get distracted by comfort. You know, like the path. The path isn't comfortable. Is riddled with discomfort. Riddled. And sometimes after a while, that, that discomfort can get to certain people at certain times. So what this psychological warfare album does is it keeps you on the path so for example you want to wake up every day early that one day you're distracted by the comfort of hitting the snooze button getting 10 more 20 more minutes of sleep that's bad that's a distraction that's a deviation from the path listen to psychological warfare uh, what's the, the number? Number one, I think. Get up and get after it. Get up and get it. Listen to that. Put it as your alarm. Mm. I dare you to hit snooze. Dare you. Jock will just tell you practically, <laughs> in a practical, pragmatic way, why you should not hit the snooze. Boom. Um, I would say with 100% certainty that you will not hit the snooze and you will stay on the path. And that goes for all these other things, deviating from diet, deviating from pushing yourself in a workout, deviating from going to the gym in the first place. Going exactly right. Or if you have like this procrastination situation, mm. oh man, that's that's the main one that, you know, like how you're always like, hey, I, sh- I need to do this. I should do this. Just you start know? doing it. Yeah, procrastination yeah. is pretty much the thing that's going to keep you from doing it. Nonetheless, if you procrastinate this, hey, got a little solution for you too. Anyway, Psychological Warfare, Jocko Willink. Look for it on iTunes or Amazon Music, by the way. It's a good one. That's pretty cool. Also, while you're on Amazon, you can get this book that we just covered today, Conversations with Major Dick Winners. Jocko White Tea is also available on Amazon. If you don't want to drink a sodas, yep. which no one should be drinking sodas at all, you don't need them. They're they're actually horrible for you. Bro, remember when we were eating sushi in New York and yeah. I busted out the, the Coke? Yeah, I was. Bro. I was gonna actually just 
I didn't. I was surprised. I thought that you weren't going to be my friend anymore. <laughs> in, the, in a, like in real life, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, anyways, Echo has this tradition, Ritual. which to me sounds like a, a sugar coated lie. Yeah, that when he eats sushi, he has a b- glass bottle of Coke. So he did that. <laughs> um, I overcame my hatred for him the best I could. It's kind of like when I was talking today about like, hey, if you're a vet, you can't look at everyone like, hey, this person's <laughs> just a... I, I, had to be, I had to be like, okay, Echo's not a bad person. Yeah. He's just mentally weak right now and we'll just deal with it. Don't drink that. Drink Jocko White tea, which yeah. actually tastes better than Coke. There's no doubt that it tastes better than Coke. Subjective, but sure. I Are you it. serious right now? I'm saying better is a subjective. Yeah, that everyone agrees with in the world. <laughs> Put it side by side, right. taste test. There you go. We'll Boom. go. Boom. I guarantee everybody guarantee. says, "Give me that. Give me the. Give me the Jocko White tea." They don't want that. <laughs> it's syrup and sugar. I think you might be 147 percent correct. I know. Absolutely, we'll do a taste test. Only you can taste the Coke because I'm not. I'm not <laughs> touching my lips to that stuff. Nasty. All right, you're the man. One time they had a. We we have a, a PT situation. We call it a monster mash. Sure. And it's you just do a bunch of crazy events, like pull ups and rope climbs, and carry boats around and swim. And we were doing it when I was the the oh the officer in charge of Tradet. Oh, and so yeah, the OIC of Tradet. So I brought my son with me, mm. and they had did this monster mash. And one of the things you had to do in the monster mash, and this thing's being timed in some race and all that stuff, yeah. you had to drink a full Coca Cola through a straw. <laughs> so my son's doing the monster mash, and he's probably seven or something like that. Yeah. And he'd never even had a Coke before. It burned his mouth, probably. Yeah, and he he just hated it. It was so nasty to him. Yeah, That's how I looked at you the other day. (laughs) I was like, dude, you're making me sick. So, Jocko White Tea, you know, go on there, read the reviews as well. You know, you'll see things like this. Excellent tea when I need to crush and power through the work, I brew me some Jocko White Tea. If I need a little extra kick to crush it, that's what I do. I've begun working fewer hours at the office as my pr- productivity has risen 900%. Dang. That's pretty legit. Actual numbers, yeah. Yeah. And obviously that's a 100% accurate because it came from an Amazon <laughs> review. So, mm-hmm. and and actually, the, there's a warning as well. Caution regarding this product. Leaving your supply of Jocka White tea out in the open will require overwatch. I now have non-tea drinkers hitting my reserves almost as badly as dedicated tea drinkers. No double blind study required, right? That's this is the thing. It doesn't taste like tea, right? It doesn't taste like tea, in my opinion. It yeah. tastes like tastes like victory, <laughs> but it doesn't taste like tea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Jocko White Tea. You can get it on Amazon.com. Way the Warrior Kid. The book is out, as you know. Thank you for getting it. Kids have been crushing it. It's awesome. That's one of my favorite things that has happened to me in the past several years is people started posting pictures of their kids reading Way the Warrior Kid. Yeah. And that was awesome for me to see. And I'll tell you why it was awesome. Because I know, I know those kids are reading that book and they're thinking that they're going to get a little bit better and a little bit stronger and a little bit faster and a little bit yeah. smarter. And they're going to, and people are sending me pictures of kids doing push ups and kids doing. A guy sent me a, a, a video of his kid. You know how you have little uh, night vision in your kid's room so you can monitor them? 
Oh, like on a little monitor. Yeah, thing. a little monitor yeah, thing. Yeah. He sent me a picture, a video of the monitor. <laughs> the kids in the room after nighttime, after bedtime. After yeah. Guess what the kids doing? Push ups. <laughs> He's doing push ups. Why? Yeah. He wants to get stronger. Wants to get better. Yeah. So yeah, get that. If you got kids, get it for them. If you're an adult, that's cool. Get it anyways. Adults have a lot to learn from Uncle Jake, myself yeah. included. So run out, go to your local bookstore and grab copies. If they don't have it in your local bookstore, tell them to get it so that other kids can see it and get it. Let's make people better. Also, you can pre-order Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. Again, you can find it in the Get After It section of any bookstore or online bookseller. It is the only book in that section. If your bookstore doesn't have that section, which it probably won't, tell them to get after it (laughs) and make one. And then put Discipline Equals Freedom there and get a copy of it for yourself. Extreme ownership. Yes, the fundamental principles of combat leadership. They will help you win in any capacity. On the battlefield, on the beat, in business, in life. Extreme ownership written by myself and my brother Leif Babin. You can get that book as well. If you need more than the podcast and the book, that's fine. It's okay. Contact our leadership and management consult- consulting company, Echelon Front. Info at echelonfront.com. Now, the muster. Mm. The muster. We just got done with muster 002 in New York City. What's your assessment, Echo Charles? My assessment was that it, it, it was an upgrade. It is. It was an upgrade from the first one. And that's saying a lot because that first one was, that was like, dang, that was really impactful. To the kind where, and I don't really say like, oh, this event was impactful. I don't use that word. Not because I'm above it or nothing like that, but I'm just saying to say it, it got to be for real. So that first one was, that was like, dang, this, this is really good. From top to bottom, like even, okay, the material, boom, it's like all usable material, all of it. And then, like I always say, and I, I think people overlook this part a lot of time, like just the social element. It's so easy to make friends with everyone because they all kind of have the same kind of interesting goals in one way or another. There's going to be some overlap there. And the jujitsu part was fun, too. You know, it's like it's just this great event, you know. And then the second one. And I wasn't I'm gonna be honest with you. I wasn't as fired up because it was in New York. It's like outside of the comfort zone. The first one here, San Diego. I was like, oh, sweet. But it was like it was even better. That's that this past one was better. Yeah, it was got getting great feedback. Awesome. And like you said, I think the important well, one of the most important things that you just said is it's very pragmatic. Yeah. It's not like it's not like, hey, you're gonna learn some stuff, but it's not gonna be really applicable. No, no, no. Yeah. It's gonna be applicable. Yeah. When you walk out, when you finish that section mm-hmm. and we get done talking about it, boom. You can you can implement that immediately. Yeah, it's interesting. You guys have like a lot of military stories and examples, you know. And then, but when you go to the Q and A, like all the people with their their questions, not one of them is military. It's yeah, all yeah. work, maybe relationship, maybe here and there. Yeah. But it's like at work, yeah. you know, like and, what do I do? Yeah, and exactly. In every one of those situations, we we answer them. I'd say we answer them with both business examples that we've experienced and military examples. But yeah, you you absolutely. We've seen this is the thing. We've seen it happen before. Whatever that little issue is that you've, you're having, yeah. I've seen it before. You know, I've seen yeah. it before. I've seen something like it. We'll be able to find an answer, come to a conclusion, and move forward with the techniques, the principles that we talk about in extreme ownership. But it's like this. Extreme ownership, the book, is an awesome way to get the fundamental principles. Mm-hmm. But when you come to the event, 
now you can really personalize it you know you can really make sense of it it's just like learning jujitsu like it's cool yeah watch the youtube videos yeah also go to class also go to the seminar learn it from as many different angles yeah. as you can because the more angles you learn it from the better you the more proficient you'll be at applying them to your world yeah and that yeah and that's not you know you talk about jujitsu another cool part about it is you know when we teach the jujitsu on the last day like you can come and actually like roll well try to choke jocko yeah, you come and bring it. You did. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, because think about it. Most times, like if you go to like a, a you know, oh yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. you like, can't go yeah. try to choke the guy yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. of it. You yeah, know, you can't say like, um, hey, I'm going to go see this concert, and then afterwards, I'm going to pick up a guitar and play, yeah. you know, the solos with, yeah. you know, Eric yeah. Clapton. Yeah, exactly right. That doesn't happen. And this you can. Yeah, and this is like like actually choking them, the person, you know. So that's like an added element, you know. I mean, I got to roll with like plenty of the guys, man. It's it's just so cool to be like, oh yeah, you know, we talk and we talk about this, and then you f- get it on afterwards, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so, anyways, if you didn't make it to New York City, which was awesome, Times Square, we had a great time. It, the next one we're having, July thirteenth and fourteenth, in Austin, Texas, the Omni Barton Creek Resort and Spa. Now, this is one thing that it just is what it is. In New York, we we were planning to do like three hundred and fifty people. Yeah. And then we sold that out. We opened it up for another fifty, and we and we and we had to expand our room to get that. And then that sold out. And so then we we rearranged the or the the situation in there to get more people in there. It looks like in Austin we're capped. We can't get any bigger than the room that we've got. And so it's three fifty. So if you want to come, sign up quick. Uh, before it gets sold out because there's no way we can expand it into more people so just be be aware of that yeah. if you can't make that for 13th and 14th july 13th and 14th in austin texas san diego california september 14th and 15th we're back in san diego for follow-on operations so come and get it while you're waiting for the muster if you need to pass communications to myself or echo charles we can be found on the interwebs Twitter, Instagram, plus, boy, we on that Facebooky. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast, for sharing the podcast, for supporting the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Thanks to the military personnel out there that are protecting our freedoms overseas. And also the law enforcement, the firefighters, EMTs, first responders that keep us safe here at home. Thanks to you all. And to everyone, whatever your mission might be. Let's think about Dick Winner's personal quest. Very simple, to excel in everything he did. Excel in everything he did, we should do the same. Excel in everything we do. From working to working out. From the way we treat people to the way we treat ourselves. Excel. Put 
forth your greatest effort in everything you do from the small seemingly meaningless tasks to the big goals as you attack those goals or as those goals start to grind you down remember the obsessive pure determined effort that dick winners taught us all and go out there and get after it so until next time this is echo and jocko out <laughs>